The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Garden. Glad we can join you today. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. We have Kenneth with Dan West. And then we have Jim Crowder, who's a... The retired nurseryman and the recliner liner. That's me. That's him. And uh, we've talked a lot about your Facebook page this week. Enjoyed looking at the, um, all the great things that are on there. Had some people coming in and saying they're enjoying listening to the Facebook, listening, watching, reading the Facebook page that Jim does. It's Mid-South Gardening, USDA Zone 6 through 8. So you can get all the information you want right there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I get people in the garden center all the time. They mm-hmm. and Jim, you ought to be, um, you ought to be proud of that. I'm telling you. Hey, what am I doing bragging about him on air? I know oh, it. My uh, I know it. I know. <laughs> what are we gonna do? But every week we come up here. Jim says, "Well, I got about 500 more listeners, mm-hmm. you know, or followers on this thing." And I don't think there's any way in the world, Jim, you would have envisioned this. From the very beginning. But I do know one person that didn't look at it all week. Would that be you? Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, we do it all day, and then at the end of the day, you're like, I'm so tired, I don't even think I can push Facebook <clears throat> on my phone. Yeah. So I need to see what I missed. What, what's happening? What's everybody talking about, Jim? Well, you know, still a lot of, uh, about winter damage. Uh, getting a lot of IDs now. You know, people mm-hmm. want to know, what is this? They're seeing something in bloom or seeing something in their yard that they've never noticed before. Because <laughs> <laughs> so. everything else, else is dead, and then that one <laughs> yeah. good thing came back up. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, another thing also, guys, is more and more people are coming into the garden center telling me that they're seeing a little growth on these things that we thought mm-hmm. were completely dead. Right, yeah. I'm getting some pictures like that, too, and they're excited, you know. You know. Now, you know, we still got to be patient. We'll have to wait and see what really happens. Right, like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, these beautiful eight-foot clearas, you know, for example, that I thought all of them were completely mm-hmm. dead. Well, we're starting to see a little new growth pop out on them. Now, does that mean that they are going to go ahead and flush out? Don't know yet. Does it mean they're only going to flush out three feet off mm-hmm. the ground? Yeah. Don't know yet. So, God, I mean, it's, it's still a, you know, and, and I tell you, and I know people hate to be patient. I get mm-hmm. it. You know, they're seeing all this dead stuff. Talking to a lady just the other day, she lives on a zero lot line. And she's got some cryptomeria that are dead. And I really think they're dead, dead. Okay. Mm-hmm. No growth whatsoever. And a lot of the osmanthus that she's going to have to cut way back, maybe six or eight inches off the ground. But she was talking in particular about these clearas. And she said, I'm almost embarrassed to have these mm-hmm. things in my landscape. And I look, I said, you're not the only one that's yeah. got dead looking cliera. This year in particular, Everybody in town is going through mm-hmm. these same things. So it's not like I've got this one dead plant out there. All my neighbors are seeing it. I see it. I hated it. It's an eyesore. But I'm like, just give it a minute. And now I said, you can always dig it up and, and you know, put another one in. That's mm-hmm. you, Anybody can do that. But, guys, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it's still crazy to see how much damage was done, you know, this past winter. But it's also kind of refreshing to see that some of this stuff, is starting to flush back out right. slowly, but we'll see, Jim. Yeah. You just have to ask yourself, am I willing to wait for this right to look good again if it takes three years? Mm-hmm. Um, and my answer would be no. Yeah. 
you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just so impatient. You've got something that you're, you know, an heirloom plant you're particularly fond of, a camellia you move from your grandmother's house. Yeah. Then I'd say, you know, yeah, let it, uh, let it, let it stay and see what happens. Um, right. Somebody came in with the boxwoods pruned back and little bitty growth on there. And I was like, man, you know, yeah, I'd just take those out because it's going to take a long time to recover. And they take a lot of limbs out. And I'm going, I don't think that's ever going to make the right shape anymore. Yeah. You know, and I'm wondering, I'm seeing, we've had this week a lot of uh, posts about boxwood. They're, uh, have irregular patterns in them, dead limbs oh, yeah. here and there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, is that really winter kill or is it volutella? Mm-hmm. I, I, that's my guess is that it's really volutella. Or both. The, because yeah. of the winter, it gave it right. the, the yeah. disease. Whenever you have a really stressed plant after a winter like that, particularly boxwood, they're much more susceptible to volutella. Which is a blight mm-hmm. that right. they can get. And it's really magnified by leaves accumulating in the crotch of the plant and so many people don't think about that you know they shear their boxwood all the time to make it perfect ground Mm -hmm. but those little leaves are falling down and getting inside the Mm -hmm. plant and when it stays damp and wet in the crotch of that plant it's just the perfect condition for this particular blight and what you see is limbs die out perfectly healthy plant but it's got a dead limb on one side yeah. a mm-hmm. dead limb on the other mm-hmm. instead of universal damage all over mm-hmm. the plant like we would think with typical winter kill oh mm-hmm. that makes sense because i was thinking why did she prune it like this you yeah. know i thought that every limb would have had some growth on it so that's that must be and that that's my guess is mm-hmm. of course you know it would take a diagnosis to be and to see one really closely if you can get in there and look if it's volutella you should see little pink pustules down mm-hmm. right near the ground on the stem oh, yeah. uh but that can they can be difficult to see no you're going to see you know like you and the same blight can get on pachysandra yes absolutely now, and are you going to see those little rings jim you know in the foliage of the boxwood or is that you don't sit on the boxwood i've never noticed it yeah but, you know it may be there uh it's just more more of you know with my eyesight i see the plant <laughs> man that <laughs> yeah. messes you up when you have to start wearing glasses because at first i didn't realize how much i wasn't seeing and i couldn't diagnose things anymore <clears throat> Really? Yeah. I would diagnose them incorrectly, and then I'll put glasses on? It's like, oh. All right, yeah. so let's say, all right, so boxwoods. Okay, we know what there was a lot of winter damage out there, okay? And we know eventually, possibly, people don't have to go in there and selectively cut out what's dead. But you're saying, Jim, take it a step further, just in case you do have volutella blight, which, like you said, this is a perfect year for it mm-hmm. uh, on the boxwoods because they're already weakened and all this other stuff. Do you get a blower, guys, and just blow all those leaves out of the crotch of this thing, clean it up really good, go ahead and be proactive and spray some copper or dacanil or yeah. something like mm-hmm. that? Or, or, yeah, dacanil. Mancozeb or or Dacanil would be the top mm-hmm. two, I guess. And go ahead and give them things a good spray and come back in about 10 days, two weeks, do it again, just in case. I would, yeah. Um, yeah, and and the the two that you recommended, those are really the ones you'll have. There's not a natural organic product. That's copper take would be care. the closest. Okay. Yeah, a fixed metal fungicides what mm-hmm. we're after. All right, so that'd be the closest. But yeah. don't go with like neem or something like that. No, that's yeah, not. You're, you're just spitting into the wind there because yeah. it ain't gonna help. 
<laughs> like <laughs> that's not a good uh, visual. <laughs> good visuals, <laughs> you know. But I'm, yeah, I mean that it all make it definitely makes sense because it is the the conditions have been perfect for that blight. Not saying it is, but I'm just saying go yeah. ahead and be proactive. At the very least, get all those leaves blown out of there. Get them. Mm-hmm. I mean, clean that thing up. Cut them back. Go in there and selectively cut out what's dead if you know it's dead. You know, if you're using a blower, stay away from your roses. What do you mean? <laughs> you're likely to blow the mite uh-huh. all over your roses. Yeah, the the mite that causes rose rosette, or which is on the roses, but it will fall to the ground with leaves and accumulate right around the base. Now they die fairly shortly, mm-hmm. but if you go in there with a blower and blow them out, you just stir those little mites up or or any that have landed that didn't make it on the rose bush. <laughs> So, <clears throat> so in the rose bed, get the rake out. Yeah, mm-hmm. get all the leaves up if there's any down there. Around the boxwoods, get the blower out blower. and blow those little leaves out. Right. You know, I noticed on um, Indian hawthorns, some of them are starting to come back. I didn't hear you say that. I know, I know, but the ones that I noticed, the ones that got really stressed last year, year before last, was. Um, they had a lot of mulch around the crown. It seemed because I saw them a lot in uh, commercial areas, and they were mulch too high. But then I went to this one house that theirs weren't really damaged, but theirs were nice and clean underneath, and it, you know had some compost, <clears throat> and theirs looked good. So I, I guess just some, well we talk about how you mulch things too deep and it causes stress all the time in many ways that you don't even realize well and then you know I know we got to go to a break but I was also I was talking to a customer yesterday and this has been going on like every day is he had osmanthus of course that were killed down to the ground a bit they are coming back from the root from the very bottom but like Jim said do you want to cut them way down and give them years to come back up you surely can mm-hmm. but the the conversation we were having is Am I going to replant these? Right. <laughs> like, you know, you can't replace an osmanthus, in my opinion, with any other shrub. There's just mm-hmm. not one that will fit the bill, right? right Especially right. when it comes to the fragrance, Veda. So he's going to go ahead and replant. And he said, I just hope and mm-hmm. pray that I don't have the same type of winter next year that we had this year. Right, exactly. Now, you know that song, Spitting in the, w- Spit in the Wind. Oh, so you don't take the mask off the old long ranger, <laughs> and you don't mess around with Jim. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We'd like you to give us a call at 901-260-5926. Check us out on Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. Shoot us a text anytime you want. If you listen uh, to the podcast later on, kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time. And we did have a texter, Mrs. Jen, uh, texted in and said, All the trees lining Farm Road at Chevy Farms are piled up in the truck with mulch. Uh-huh. But most of them still look pretty good. I wonder why. So all the trees lining Farm Road. They're not stressed enough yet. The Chevy Farms are piled <laughs> up with mulch. So they've got the volcano yeah. look to All it. All along Farm Road there, the, every one of them. It's just, you know, and every time I see it, I just shake my head. So well, I the, mean, they're relatively young trees. All right, so, but, mm-hmm. but they're doing this they because are, yeah. it looks good, correct? I would assume that would be correct, but, you know, it's the Park Commission, so you would think, mm, right? Or, or I guess who does Shelby County Parks? 
don't know. I don't know either. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But all right, so because what's what's potentially going to happen down the road well, if they never get that mulch away from have, the trunk of the tree? You'll have 50-50 chance they're going to live, or then we're going to lose some as time progresses. They'll be weak. Because the mulch is mm-hmm. up against the trunk of the tree, way too up high yeah. on the trunk of the tree. Which is going to eventually rot that bark away. So it holds moisture, yep. and moisture and wood. Mm-hmm. We know what happens. So it rots the bark away, and then you're down to the cambium layer there, and then you're destroying that. So the tree will slowly decline. Right. Out yes. of any, go ahead. I'm sorry. No. You're oh, out of fine. anything in the entire landscapes, everywhere I go, the only thing that really makes me insane is that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. trees are so necessary. I mean, you can grow a bush quickly, some perennials, some annuals, you know, shrubs, all that. But the trees are like a, yeah, for us, a forever thing. <laughs> but we need the trees. And so quit piling it up. Can we have a pull the mulch off your tree day? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> and it's funny. And everybody do it. You know, most landscape, most yards, most residential landscapes that have mulch, yeah, sometimes we see excessive mulch out there, but you usually don't see the tree volcano mulch, right? Mm-hmm. You mostly see it in park Commerce. settings. You yeah. do in mm-hmm. commercial settings. And you wonder, you know, why are you seeing that mulch just piled up on the trunk of that tree in a lot of those settings? Well, also... Job protection. I guess, yeah, Exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Exactly. I'm thinking, well, I remember in one place that when they did it initially, it was fine. But then companies just you, they, you just add mulch because that's what you do every year, you know, and you didn't need to. And then they just keep piling it, piling it on top. And plus, they see it everywhere. So I think that's, I don't know. I thought, and this has been a long time going. Oh, so yeah. It seems like by now. I mean, I'm noticing improvement on the pruning of crepe myrtles now. Yeah. I am noticing that they're not in, taking in them some all the cases. way down to the knuckles. Yeah, in some cases. But I'm not noticing any improvement of keeping the volcano mulch off the trees. And then we see the same thing. Not only is, is a volcano mulch around the trees, we see excessive mulch a lot of times in these beds. And there are certain plants that are very shallow-rooted, you know, azaleas, boxwoods, Japanese maples, for example. They just don't like to have a heavy layer of Mm -hmm. mulch on top of that root system. And I was just thinking, we're saying volcano mulch, and people out there are going, just when you go to the store, don't buy volcano mulch. (laughs) (laughs) The mulch is piled up, and it looks like a volcano with a tree coming out of the center of it, you know? The tree looks like a telephone pole. You're supposed to have a root flare. Yeah, and then people always ask, you know, what's the best type of mulch? And we've, you know, gone over this many times. To me, there's really no best type Mm -hmm. of mulch. I think some might be better than others. The mulch that I really just kind of don't like is the, like, double or triple hammered. I hate the triple hammered. uh, Hardwood mulch or mulch because the particles are so fine. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the same mistake I made two years ago. I told you about that. When I put soil conditioner, which is nothing more than pine fine, Mm -hmm. very fine chopped up pieces of pine bark. I put pine fine down as my mulch, thinking that it'd be easy to spread. Mm-hmm. It looks great. It would break down into great compost. Well, it's easy to spread, and eventually it would break down into some type of compost. I think Jim says mulch dust, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to yeah. tell you right now, <laughs> that stuff is water repellent. I mean, Jim, you could not I couldn't put enough water on these beds to penetrate this that, soil condition. That's why it floats so well. <laughs> but anyway, the double, the triple hammered mulches, to me, kind of do the same thing. They almost act as, as an umbrella on top of your beds. 
I like mulches that are a little more coarse. They've got more air between the particles where water were passed down through it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. So, you know, I learned my lesson the hard way. And, and I, it's not like someone recommended that I do that. I, I, I want, I like the look. And I thought it'd be easy, like I said, to spread. And I've known other people that have done, have used soil conditioner, which usually we work into our clay soil to break it up, mm-hmm. right? right? As a top dressing. And I'm like, okay, I can do the same thing. <laughs> okay, so... How about we explain how would that be good to mix in our soil if it repels water on the top? Because then, I mean, I know the answer, but think about it. We're saying don't, it repels water. You know, it, it mats down, so we're going to mix it in our soil so it can repel water. Well, you're not but, putting, you know, you're not, you're not putting like a layer of, you're not mixing a layer of it in in your soil. You can, I mean, but you're mixing it in with a soil, with clay in right, this case. So it's, the particles are separated out. Exactly. So they can't repel in the ground, kind of like sphagnum, sphagnum moss? Mm-hmm. Yeah, peat moss repels water so the soil conditioner is okay to mix it in the bed yeah and not put on and top. i love the product to mix into our clay soil i just don't like using it as mulch that's all and like i said and i've used like a double or triple hammered mulch that you use to get from a mulch yard sometimes you can buy it in bags i've used it one time years ago and i'm telling you when it was really dry in the summertime guys and we had no rain it formed a crust on the top of it <laughs> I'd go out there with the water hose, and I would water these beds, and I mm-hmm. promise you the water would just bead up and roll right off the top of my bed. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, so I'd have to get the old cultivator, rough up that bark just to make it loose again to where the water would penetrate the mulch. So, I mean, who would – I get it. People are always trying to do the right thing, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're actually making the – Right. They're making make it, it worse, worse on themselves. Well, and everything that we do, we still make it worse on ourselves sometimes, too. <laughs> like yucky, lightweight soil in outside containers. I just made it harder on myself, you know, by not getting a thick or a richer soil for containers. I used, remember, I used the indoor soil, which was fine. It still worked outdoors. And I used the indoor soil because it was lighter to get upstairs. But then I was like, ah, I'm watering too much. My plants aren't growing Quite well enough, so I added density, actually, to that lightweight soil. Well, and also for people out there listening, you know, they'll be out there maybe doing some gardening and stuff today, maybe even planting some containers. I've seen a lot of people want to buy a garden soil to use in their containers, and then some people will use a potting soil to use in a bed. Well, it's just the opposite. You know, the garden soils are usually a little heavier blend, if you will, and they're great to work into our Beds are to add to our raised beds. That's the garden soil. That's what it's for. A garden soil is not so much to use in a container. It's usually a good bit heavier than the potting soils. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling people, look, if you've got a container, you want to use a potting soil. If you've got beds, you can surely use a garden soil. But it's well, not good to use that garden soil in the, in the containers. I've got uh, the supernatural compost, I believe it's called. Supernatural? Yeah, the earth mix stuff. And... Uh, so I'm not using garden soil. Wait, what am I trying to say? No, it's th- this type of soil is also, you can mix in your beds, but it's also formulated for containers too. But so it's not so, so it's heavy. So not the, the regular garden soils like you're talking about. So this one you can still break down, but then it's also good to use in containers too. 
because they had produced a container garden soil. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, it was even heavier. And so I switched over to this one that you can mix in the ground or in your containers. But then that leads you to hanging baskets. If I put this soil in the hanging baskets, it's insanely heavy. The shepherd hook is getting bent over. Right. No matter how thick the bar is or how many things I have stuck in the ground, I can't even hardly lift it up to put it on the hook. So now I'm going to have to adjust by putting a lightweight in with a heavy weight and watering it a little more. I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference in using the right soil. And I know we only got one minute left. My wife bought a hanging basket. From a, I don't know if it was a, I don't know where it was, it, but it wasn't at a. Dan West, I'm sure. No, I mean, she was out shopping <laughs> oh, with different okay, friends and just you. grabbed this hanging basket. You just can't help well, it. It's the If she's going to get it done, she's got to do it herself right. in her yard. <laughs> You're never going to bring it home. <laughs> and then, like I said, this was years ago. I promise oh, you, <laughs> when this thing got wet, y'all, this, this hanging basket mm-hmm. weighed 25 <laughs> pounds. And it was like a 12-inch really? basket. I'm like, this is insane. I mean, nothing would live in this thing. And it was because of the soil they put in there. Jim, it was almost the same kind of clay soil that you use for your water lilies. And I was just shaking my head like, Mm -hmm. who would do this? So it it, it is. It it, looked good when she bought it. It looked Mm -hmm. great when she bought it. But I'm telling you, it makes a big difference, guys, in the type of soil that you're using in these containers and in these hanging baskets. You want to use a good, high-quality potting soil. And just know the difference between the two. Potting soil, garden soil, there's a big difference. Right. And after this, I'll tell you an easy way to figure out if your hanging baskets are dry or not. So y'all hang on and give us a call, 901-260-5926. You're listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk 107.9 FM. Listen to the Mighty 990 with the new KWAM mobile app. Go to Mighty990.com now to download for Apple or Google Play. Your direct access to everything KWAM. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's time to garden. It goes beta bouncing in her seat again. I, I do really appreciate music a lot. It's very helpful. <laughs> and I like all genres because I have so many moods. Mm. So this one, had when I do this, you got that mood. You do this, you have that mood. Um, but the hanging baskets. So, you know, sometimes we forget about hanging baskets because they're up in the air. And we think that they're on the same watering schedule as our containers or our new plants that we planted outside. But they're not. But the easiest way to tell is just reach up under them and push. And if they're lightweight, then you're going to push them to the sky. Actually, they're that that lightweight. But that's the easiest way to check your hanging baskets. Just by the because, weight? Yeah, because, I mean, I'm looking at some hanging over on the uh, porch, and I'm thinking, did those get... Can they get the rainwater, mm-hmm. or are they just <laughs> enough under not to get water? They look beautiful. Nobody's paid attention. You know, the people that work there... So, and they must be watered. They look beautiful till they start to wilt. Right, and I'm like, but you know better on hanging baskets. So I walked over there, and I hit the bottom of each one, and they were just as light as could be. But they're sitting up there looking beautiful. Mm -hmm. Still, they needed water. Yeah, check your hanging baskets more often, because you can't get a heavy enough, rich enough soil to let them go longer without water, and especially if you don't transplant them. Like if you buy them in their regular plastic baskets that come in, um, they're not going to last as long, really, until you take them and put them into one of those nice cocoa mat mm-hmm. liner hanging baskets so you've got beauty 
underneath and above too. And that's one of the things that I hear the most, most, most of is they go, they, we, we buy hanging baskets for short term, they say. And I'm like, man, you can do long term out of these, just water more. And for me, I love the worm castings. I put worm castings in the Mm -hmm. hanging baskets just to hold the moisture a little longer, leach that compost tea, if you call it, down into the root system. Well, and also the beauty of a hanging basket, almost kind of like any container, is it's, and I'm not going to say it's impossible to overwater because you can, but it's harder to overwater those type plants because gravity is pulling the water down to the bottom of the pot, and hopefully <laughs> you've got good drainage holes in the bottom of this hanging basket. Um, so, you know, you can get away with overwatering, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. Yeah, you can. You almost can't overwater those. Yeah, so it's, in my opinion, it's, it's it's better to, especially when it gets really hot and dry, and those days, of course, we'll get here sooner than later. I think yeah. it's better to uh, pay attention to, and maybe even go overboard and water more than you probably should Right. when it comes to some of these hanging baskets. Now, in the ground, you got to be a little more careful. And we'll talk about that, of course, all summer. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Right, all summer. But, but it still comes back, though, like to what we were talking about a while ago, is hopefully they're using a high-quality or a decent potting soil because... The story, like I told you, with the, the hanging basket that my wife bought, y'all, I promise you, I've never felt a hanging basket. And it was one of those, it had, it was a wire basket. It had the cocoa fiber around it, okay? Mm-hmm. But it had a plastic liner on the inside. Oh, so, you know, you, in my, what I did, I got a uh, Phillips head screwdriver and I started just poking holes in the side and the bottom of this hanging basket. Just were to let water uh-huh. out. Uh, but I know you can't win because no. I know what they're they're putting that in there to hold moisture longer because of the drainage. But with this type of soil, they didn't need to. They, right. It needed no plastic on the inside of this basket. So you right. hit on one of the <clears throat> main problems I see with hanging baskets is because they use a good quality soil in them. If it's done correctly, it drains quickly, mm-hmm. which is good. But you also lose fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Most of the really good quality potting soils, for lightweight soils for baskets mm-hmm. or for containers, uh, don't hold nutrients very well. Mm-hmm. That's why when the growers have them, they're feeding them every time they walk. Mm-hmm. They get constant doses of fertilizer. We just stop that totally right. once we get it home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you really pay attention and fertilize more, you'll have a spectacular basket. Mm-hmm. If you just put it up there and let it sit. And water, know, water, water, water the yeah. way we have to do. Unless it's something like a purslane, which mm-hmm. just appreciates ig- ignorance and letting it dry out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, or, or lantana. It does. Um, most baskets will be much, much happier if you'll get on a, uh, a very, very often fertilizer program. Now, do you have a preference, Jim or Veda, one way or the other as far as a granulated fertilizer, let's say like Osmocote that you can sprinkle in there that's going to feed them a little bit for the next two or three months, or a water-soluble uh, plant food, you know, that you mix with water and pour in there. Uh, I mean, in the end, both, result going to be yeah. the same? Or do, well, some people do both. I still like the worm castings just to keep replenishing your soil, but right. you can definitely add the Osmocote, but I would still make sure I did a little compost on top or worm castings for sure. And then the liquid, the Osmocote, any of that's going to work. I mean, do you have a preference? Um, I prefer a granular or like 
I use a lot of Agriform tablets. Mm-hmm. Um, don't push them next to the plant and mm-hmm. take them and, and just push them near the edge of the pot. You know, and if it's a 10-inch basket, I'll put one on each side. And you like that because of convenience, Jim? Because it, it feeds constantly. Yeah. You know, and like I said, for up to two years. So it's uh, it gets you a... It's, um, okay, I'm lazy. <laughs> Let's get to the point of it. Okay? <laughs> it works for me. I but feel it, like that's smart, not lazy. It's just smart gardening. But also, but, it, but my point is it truly doesn't matter. Whether you're using a water-soluble, and a water-soluble, the beauty of it is it works really fast. It does. The drawback is in a hanging basket, it's not going to last that long. About three days. That's right. Where (laughs) something, a granulated fertilizer, a non-burning granulated fertilizer, you know, Osmocote just comes to mind. There's uh, Start and Grow. There's some some really good granulated fertilizers out there that you can sprinkle in these containers, including these hanging baskets. And every time you water, you're going to get some of that fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And then some people actually even do both. Right. Well, after we've talked about all this on hanging baskets, hopefully everybody's going, okay, I'm going to get a hanging basket today. Well, but also do it and do it the right way. I mean, like Mm -hmm. Jim was saying, you know, we water them so much. We're leaching all the fertilizer out of that thing. When you buy it, it looks beautiful. A month later, your beautiful plant doesn't look so beautiful anymore. You're wondering, what did I do wrong? I can just feel the vibes. Everybody's like, ah. I picked up, uh, last week, picked up a croton at Guinness Place. Um, and when I pulled it out of the can, because I planted it in the ground for seasonal color, mm-hmm. it had so much fertilizer in it, mm-hmm. you almost couldn't see soil, yeah. green pellets, mm-hmm. just solid all the way yeah. down the plant. And when I pulled soil off the roots at the base, there was fertilizer up inside mm-hmm. of it. And, I, you know, they have loaded oh. this thing down with fertilizer. Uh-huh. And just all they've got to do is put it out there in the sun and hit it with water, and it grows it's like a son of a gun. Well, you know? Kenneth, the, 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 uh, Dan West didn't do that. They come right. in yeah, they like that. They came in from the grower, grower like, like that. that. Right. That's right. Or sometimes they're all on the side. They're between the pot and the soil. Right. And, but that way, know, when they're watering, they're not losing, they're not, losing as much fertilizer as you would if you were doing a water soluble mm-hmm. right okay when you do a water soluble in a greenhouse yeah. most often they're catching that water yeah okay they're reusing that water because yeah, a lot so, of it hits the ground right you know and because there are epa regulations about you don't put this stuff in the pond next to you because it'll turn it green so um <laughs> yeah, right. you know there are That's restrictions different. about what you can do with that runoff water uh, but with if they're just doing water and doing the pelletized mm-hmm. time release stuff, you don't get that much loss mm-hmm. like you do. Yeah. yeah. So oh, that works out good. Well, like um, Jerry, hang on, we're going to get you after the break so we can talk a little longer. Um, so yeah, so you were talking about all the plants are like on an IV fertilizer and water fed yep. daily, and so that's why fertilizing is very important when they come into. Uh, the garden center and then head to your house because they they need that food now and then actually some of uh you know you never sell through the entire new order you get like in a week so sometimes you've got plants that may have been on the table two weeks or so and I actually take a liquid fertilizer and spray them down you know trying to get the soil just because I know they're they're thinking you know where did the food go Mm -hmm. especially in little four inch pots and all that so when y'all uh, bring your stuff home, make sure you feed it. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll go, can we go to a break, Ellen, and then get uh, Jerry after the break? So hang on. Looks like you've got some good questions. Uh, y'all are listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio.
Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926, or post questions on Facebook Live. And let's go, Jerry from South Haven. Thanks for holding. How can we help you? Good morning. Hey, Jerry. Uh, Getting ready to go to my usual uh, place this morning. I won't mention it. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to go get a cup of coffee and maybe a McMuffin, so yes. Coffee? Ooh. Now, hold on. What would you drink? Diet Coke or no? See, I just finished the diet, Dr. Pepper. Mmm, Dr. Pepper. Breakfast of champions. Yeah. Yeah. Too early in the day for that, Jerry. (laughs) Um, I done pulled up all my dead bushes. Mmm. Uh, what now? The best one I got had them in when I first built them. I used that stuff called planters mix, you know, buy it in the bulk, right? Truckloads, mm, right? Yeah, uh, and this had pine bark mulch that were red chunk, chunk stuff mm-hmm. on it for oh, 10 years. It was in time. I got to fill those holes in. What's the best? The best would be clay. It's like, what? I just amended my soil. <laughs> Explain but, that. You, I mean, you know, your native soil is the best thing. If you put a much looser soil in there, uh, it's it's going to, water's going to pool up underneath it, and it's going to drain slower than if you've got clay back in the hole. Uh, if you're going to replant back in there, then you know something that's like 40 or 50%, 60% clay, and then uh, some soil amendment uh, added to it, and it'll make a good planting mix to go into. Uh, but as far as the, the health of that hole, the best thing to add is native soil, which you so can I'm buy. Sell, I'm more, I've already got some uh, small azaleas, little, what, one-gallon size or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. uh, stick back in the holes. Well, you want to be very careful there because, you know, azaleas are mountain plants. They They come from areas where water stays on their feet almost no time at all. Yeah. It drains off, and so they have to have plenty of air. And if you want to make sure that when you plant them in that hole, that it's higher than your surrounding soil, because if it doesn't have air in that root ball almost all the time, they're not going to uh, behave, behave properly. <laughs> yeah, these beds are up uh, oh, anywhere from six inches to a foot or more for what the original soil was. Okay. And yeah, I mean, a raised bed, it by default, is going to drain better than soil that is ground level. It just is. Uh, and, Jerry, like Jim was saying, you know, a lot of people will go out there and just fill a hole with the, you know, just a lightweight soil. Well, two weeks later, the soil is gone anyway, you know. And then, like, also, like Jim said, water's pulling up under it, just pushing it right out. But if you're going to come back and plant azaleas, we always say, you know, <laughs> we say this almost on every shrub that we plant is you've got to have good drainage. Uh, azaleas, like Jim said, definitely have to have good drainage. So adding some uh, garden soil, planting soil, uh, something like cottonburg compost, uh, some type of compost or a combination of those products in with your native soil is the way to go because you've got to have good drainage. Um, I mean, that's just the most yeah, important thing. And, and when one thing, too, when you're saying uh, dig in a hole or have a hole there, I know you're not doing this, but I always think of people using the post hole and making that straight hole just perfect to drop that shrub in. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you're going to widen the hole some so the roots can grow more on the surface. So just as deep and deep. twice as yeah. wide is the root ball itself. And don't be afraid to pull the roots loose on the bottom of that azalea. You know, break yeah, some. Uh, 
knock it loose a little bit or yeah my, Let, my assistant a 16 year old is going to do it okay good, good they need to learn this yeah green yeah. side up <laughs> okay <laughs> okay well, thank you thanks so much All for the right, call friend. jerry appreciate it thanks jerry um yeah that's and, so good that the, he's got somebody to do that for him. and i say on azaleas in particular because you know when you take an azalea out of the pot a lot of times that that root ball because they're so fibrous when they're growing just takes the it, it conforms to the pot. It looks like the pot when you take it out of the pot. The root ball does. Yeah, you know, it's warmer on the outside of the pot, so the roots naturally grow to the outside and then <clears> circle <throat> it. And they could have virtually no roots up in the center of it. Exactly. But I like to get a little sharp knife and go in there about half an inch and slice that thing straight down, spin mm-hmm. it, slice it again, spin it, and slice it again from top to bottom in about half an inch. I like to cut that root ball, especially, like I said, on azaleas, because that root system is so mm. thick when you take it out of that pot. It is. It is. And I, I've i actually, boy, I abuse plants sometimes. Like, I've stomped on the container, you know, just, like, stomped on it trying to loosen it. Is that kind of like ang- pl- anger management? Or yeah, what it, may, it may be subliminally coming out that way. Maybe it helps. Right. But instead of me trying to take a knife and slice the container right. off, like, I... Put my foot on it, pushed hard, and yeah. rolled it along the yeah. ground. Pulled it out, sliced the bottom up, sliced yeah. the sides. Beat up the roots pretty good. Right, yeah. and it works because the roots are so root-bound on azaleas all the time. Man, not as much as they used to be. Remember when we get from Alabama and those little one-gallon Well, you know, the reason is used to when we order a one-gallon plant, it had been in that container a good while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were larger plants. You know, now a one-gallon plant is is a fraction of the size that we used to get Mm -hmm. they're turning them over so quickly now the demand is so high that you know what we sell as a a two gallon or a three gallon now was what was a one gallon Mm -hmm. plant you know (laughs) and so a lot of times those roots were real thick in fact Mm -hmm. i had a local wholesale nurseryman call me one time he said he had a bunch of three-gallon hellerized that he'd like to get rid of. In, which is a holly. Yeah, and which was, you know, and the price was like, he's selling it for like $2 a quarter a piece. Yeah. I thought, well, that's pretty darn cheap. So I went out to take a look at them, pull one out of them pots, and there was virtually no soil left in them. They were mm. solid roots. Yeah. And a root-bound plant is no bargain at any price. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was just... It's a waste of my time, and, and I couldn't believe he actually offered it. And there are a lot of things that you pull out of a pot that you very gingerly take it out of that pot <laughs> and very gingerly put yeah. it in the ground and try not to disturb the roots whatsoever. Does gingerly mean gentle? Gentle. Yes. <laughs> gingerly. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. I mean, let's say if you take the— Yeah, uh, because the, the roots are not totally developed to hold 100% of the soil no. in, so— you're, all of a sudden, the soil's falling off, which I'll let it go into the ground. And then you got, you're, you're holding your handful of root ball and plant mm-hmm. setting in there nicely. And don't let it get too deep. Yeah, but uh, Isaiah's in particular, and, we, uh, and what I was going to say while I go in, we say this all the time, is more or less anything that we plant around here needs to have good drainage. And like Jim always says, and Betty, you say this, and of course it's true. Is clay? <laughs> no, <right? laughs> I'm validated by clay. <laughs> clay holds water. It, it does. does. It does. Which so, is good. Which is good. I get it, Jim. And it holds minerals and nutrients and everything else. And that's you know, clay is good. I got that. 
But we have to amend that clay soil any time that we dig a hole and plant a shrub. And the main reason is because that everything that you're wanting to plant doesn't grow in clay soil naturally. Yeah. Okay. So we're having to make it suitable for it to get established. And then, and then that's when people sometimes scratch their head. You know, what are the, is there a, you know, the mm-hmm. best product, you know, I'm thinking as a homeowner, what is the best product I can buy or use to amend my clay soil before I plant these 20 azaleas? And the answer is there's a lot of different things that you can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's one truly any better than another. I mean, soil conditioner is a good product. All the garden soils that we sell, you sell, mm-hmm. are there good products to amend our clay with? Uh, but the worst thing you can do is do everything right and go out there and dig the hole perfect and not amend that clay before you put these plants in the ground. So now that we've got your beds all ready and prepped, we're going to come back and tell you what you can plant in them. And um, Jim was talking about, this goes along with the soil prep. I'm looking at the pictures on Facebook and and your foliage Friday, and I loved the uh, big hosta. Right, Empress Wu. Yeah, and then you were telling us about the different planting conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I've got a lot of Empress Wu, which is the largest of the hostas um, in I have some of them planted in elevated beds that had prepared soil that I had brought in. Uh, and then I have some planted native soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mm-hmm. ones that are in the looser um, prepared raised beds are huge. In fact, there's a picture of one that shows my hand, which is huge, sitting on front on the top of one. And it's so much bigger than my hand. Huge leaves yeah, on these things. But yeah. I have some the same age that are in the front yard that are planted in just native soil. They're a fraction of the height. The leaves are smaller. Now, they will eventually get big, but they're progressing much slower in the heavier soil than in the lighter weight soil. Wow. So, uh, and it, it makes a world of difference. Now, but the health of the plant itself, though, not the size, but they're the healthy. health, they're okay. They're all healthy, yeah. It's just in our heavy clay soil, they do quite well, but it just takes time. I have the oldest one I have, which is goes way back before they were a proven winter plant, mm-hmm. uh, is six feet across, got huge leaves on it, and it was planted in native soil. It's about eight inches off the trunk of a huge oak tree, and it just loves it there. Good so, Lord. Uh, it's, but it's, it's really, really big. Well, same with your, not same, but also you have Ligularia, the spotted yes, leopard. Uh, leopard. Yeah. Oh, I love that plant, but... Tell us when we get back your soil for that, because I see them either work or not. Okay. And we'll be right back. You're listening to KWAM 990. You can give us a call, 901-260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. (laughs) Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can be with you today. We're in our second hour I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yeah. And, and I want to personally welcome an old friend back to the board in there, Eric Allen Pillow, who is, was our producer many, many years ago, and he is a big shot here at the radio station. Yeah, now. Eric went out and got <laughs> yeah, married yeah. and had a beautiful yes, wife, and 
and a keeping, yard. And keeping us straight on Saturday <laughs> yeah. mornings. And last name's Pillow. I've always wondered, do you and your wife sing the My Pillow song at night? Or <laughs> no, but I've got some My Pillow slippers that are super comfortable on Saturday mornings <laughs> like this. Mornings like this. Courtesy okay. of Todd Starnes. <laughs> right. I love uh, it. Well, we need my pillows so we can sleep good, so we can garden. Yes. Um, well, you were talking about some of the plants that Jim had in it. Well, first of all, if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. You can always shoot us a text like Audrey did, and we'll get to her in just a minute on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. Vetti, you were talking about some of the plants that Jim had in his uh, old home. Was, I shouldn't right. say old home. The, the house Pre- that you previous used to live in. The previous house. <laughs> and the the one that you were fixing to bring up was the leopard yeah. plant. Right. Yes. Perfugium. Perfugium and, japonicum oreomarculatum. So is it not ligularia at all? It is not ligularia anymore, no. It is oh. a perfugium. See, I still call it by its own name. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the ones with softer leaf, they have a very similar flower. Uh, there's... Uh, well, a purple one, a dark leaf one, there are a couple of those uh, that are rocket, that are classified that are as ligularia. Still yeah. ligularias, yeah. But the uh, leopard plant is a green, big leaf, right. green. And then the one that's called tractor seat, which is the Ooh. green version, has yeah. the much, much bigger leaves. Tractor seat. Oh, those are, sure enough. Yeah. yeah, those are farfugiums. But oh, gotcha. The beauty of this perennial with that big, green, thick, glossy leaf with these yellow spots in it, and that's where, mm-hmm. why we call it leopard plant, of course, mm-hmm. uh, is it really shows up in these kind of shaded environments. That's right. In gym. right. And it performs very well if you plant it in something other than our clay soil. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, so. yeah. okay. In fact, this bit in there, I, um, I had a custom blend. So, um, there's a, um, um, bulk dealer here out near Bartlett that is uh, just wonderful company. Um, and I'm not trying to brag on them, but I mean, they support the botanic gardens. They're, they're very active in the horticulture community as well as, as being in business. But I had them blend what they have <clears throat> is called the, um, uh, Memphis botanic garden mix that they have. It's made for them. Uh, and a percentage of every, every bit of it bought, uh, that's bought goes as a donation to the, to botanic, the botanic garden. Yeah. Uh, and had them blend that with the, what they have called their soil mix, uh, or sod mix. The sod mix is mostly clay and sand, mm-hmm. okay. We, and I did a cactus bed out front with with that particular soil. It's done quite well. Hmm. Uh, and then, but I had them blend this um, sixty forty with the botanic garden mix, and and then hauled it one wheelbarrow full at a time to the other side of the house. Uh, <laughs> one, <bill. laughs> one wheelbarrow at a time. So and and it it does it does very well for perennials, Japanese maples. But it is elevated. I mean, I dug nothing, okay? I dug no holes. I went in there and built a rock wall, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just dry stack uh, uh, fieldstone, and then filled that, mm-hmm. you know. And it's sunken some as it begins to it, What to depth break was down. it, Jim? Was it, it at least a, 12 inches It was 10 to 12 inches okay. deep all the way around, you know. Uh, so if I've got a bed that's in ground, and I haven't prepped it or added a lot of compost. It's probably not going to really grow to its potential. It's, you're not going to get the size out of a lot of these perennials that you will in a looser, elevated bed because they like soil that has more air in it than water. And I don't care what you do to a into our existing soil. 
once you put it in there, it's still going to have more water than air. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's just going to do that. Because of the clay that's in there. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the more stuff you put in there, the worse it is. It's going to have more <laughs> water than clay. Yeah. Okay. So it, 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 by building the bed up, you can grow so many things that just will not tolerate our heavy clay soil. And we're talking about mostly perennials here. R- mostly perennials. But I showed you a picture of my Japanese lilac tree. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which I've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> does it, you know, it's, it's huge and full bloom. It's just, and it, oh, it smells so wonderful. But uh, what was the key with that, Jim? That was, again, raising it above the soil line, getting it up. Now, it... Uh, I'm sure by now it has gotten some roots right at the surface that spread out across mm-hmm. the clay into the neighbor's yard and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and let me uh, ask you one question, if you yeah. don't mind. Uh, you know, you're talking about how you, you built a like a river rock border, yeah. and you raised, mm-hmm. and, and that, that gave you the bed to put this soil in. Right. And let's say you go up 10 inches, and you come back and start planting these perennials. Well, when the perennials, when the root system of that perennial is, when it gets down to the bottom of that raised bed, I mean, it's not going to penetrate that native soil. Most of them don't even get to the bottom. They spread mm-hmm. out across the yeah. surface. I mean, that's just the way plants tend to so grow. So 10 inches is plenty deep right. for most mm-hmm. of these perennials you put in there. There is nothing deep that a plant needs. Yeah. Okay. All the fertilizer that it's getting is coming from the rain primarily, and they, they're at the surface. And that goes from our giant oak trees mm-hmm. all the way down to our small annuals and mm-hmm. perennials. Once you get them out of the container, they flare out. Every plant, think of it as a wine goblet and a dinner plate. The root system is much wider and very shallow. In fact, one time I went to a lady's house. She had had azaleas planted around an oak tree for, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. And that's that used to be the thing. And they were beautiful. Yeah. But then suddenly they started declining, and she couldn't understand why. Mm. Uh, and I talked to her, and then eventually went out to her house. Mm. These things had attached themselves to the tree trunk, mm. and voles and moles had tunneled under them. Oh, yeah. I could stick my arm yeah. underneath the root ball <laughs> of the azaleas. These things are like hovering yeah. above the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and they had just tunneled out all the dirt in there, and these, but the root system on the azaleas were two, three eight, inches deep. Yeah, yep. very, very uh-huh. shallow, and they, but they're just hanging on the mm. trunk. You know? So and, and air was getting in there, the drying these root systems out, right. of course. And they could, they weren't getting water well. They weren't getting nutrients. So now, did you come back and lightly mulch the top of the bed after you plant these perennials in a raised bed like that? Yeah, I do. I put mulch on it. I like cypress mulch just because of the color yeah. as much as anything. But it, but it holds that moisture. It holds some moisture in, and it also helps cut down on the weeds. You know, and weeding is a, is a pretty good problem particularly if you're not using a pre-emerge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you know, in fact, this year, not having been, I'm not at the house like I was before. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I've got a lot of uh, volunteer stuff that I'm oh, we're sure. dealing with as we're transplanting to the new place. Wow. Um, All right, let me ask you a question, Vade and Jim. Let's say, you know, you, you bought this soil in bulk form. Mm-hmm. You know, you went and got your pickup, and they dumped it in there. You took it home, one wheelbarrow at a time, and got it to the mm-hmm. backyard. Let's say if you didn't want to deal with bulk soil, is that when you still go to your, you know, your garden soil and then maybe mix it with some compost and mix it with some soil conditioner and just make your own blend? Yes. In fact, I have, uh, I'm a big fan of of soil conditioner, which is just pine fines. Oh, it is. And mixing it with uh, uh, back to nature compost. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, or I, I have a few bags of blend that mm-hmm. have the bar blend, uh, right? That's a little finer, and just mix it up and until I like the way that it looks with my clay, right? <laughs> we, with my clay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, you so, like the way it looks in terms of you can tell the porosity uh, of it, the mm-hmm. looseness with with yeah. a little bit of compactness, right? <laughs> you know, the clay needs to break up into pea to part, uh, golf ball size, mm-hmm. uh, and um. But the fact is, when, when you when you improve your soil, three years from now, it's going to be clay again. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Okay. Right. It, all that organic matter is mm-hmm. eaten up by everything that's in the soil. <clears throat> and that's the whole point. All we're doing for that first three years is creating pathways for those roots to get into the mm-hmm. soil and easily move out and form that network on the surface so that they can get the nutrients that they need. And do their thing. And then That's right. three years down the road, who cares? That's right. Now, in an elevated bed, if you're growing unusual perennials, particularly things like delphiniums that mm-hmm. like uh, really good drainage, mm-hmm. then you have to go in, lift it, improve that soil, it, make it um, nice and friable and, and airy again. Because as that any soil that you put in there is going to break down. Even in a t- raised bed. Yeah, going to break down into tinier particles and get, you know, as you know, you've got eight inches of soil, the next year you got six inches right. of soil. And yeah. so you're going to have to refresh that. Otherwise, that perennial will just begin to fade on you over a couple of years. And it reminds me, I know we got to go to a break, of the, they did the, the pot inside the house. It's got the 20-year-old Christmas cactus in it. Mm-hmm. And the soil is just gone. Yeah, yeah. it's just gone. That is so true. Okay, so let's run to a break real quick, and um, y'all can call us, 901-260-5926. You can also post questions on Facebook Live, like Miss Audrey. I think she's got a question that we'll get to after the break. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If y'all want to change the topic that we're talking about, or tell us uh, some things that are happening in your garden. Question, if you have that. Love to take your call, 901-26059, or put it on Facebook Live. Even if you call, you can talk to Alan, and he can just post the question if you really don't want to be on air. Yeah, 901-260-5926, or shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And Audrey uh, Fielding shot us a text a while ago. She said, do newly seeded areas in Zinnia seed, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, need to stay constant damp until they sprout? The answer is yes. Yeah. Um, most seeds, when you put them in a bed, even grass seed to some extent, once you initially water that seed, a lot of times that seed will swell, okay? And if you ever let that seed completely dry out before it germinates, you actually kill the embryo in the seed. So, yes, after the initial watering you do want to keep it moist until you get a good even germination. Now, once you get good germination and got a root system out there, you know, you just water as needed. But, Audrey, yes, ma'am. I'm not saying you got to keep it wet, but you do want to keep it moist, and you do not, like I said, want to let it completely dry out after you initially water any type of seed, including these zinnia seeds. So, yes, ma'am, keep it moist. Yeah, good good question. So, um, some things that I... Well, first off, we were talking about building raised beds. And to me, I finally found out what the easiest raised bed is to build. Even though like, rocks are kind of heavy, but not so much. You can now, just you're talking about a, wheelbarrow a, a, a really tall raised bed no, or just, just a... two, I mean, six inch, eight, eight, ten inches okay. or so. And it's the, the river rock or the, the round boulder rock. Mm-hmm. And 
you just like make you an edging out of it because yep. you can get the bigger pieces like eight. And you seven. can make cheap ones. Uh, my daughter is making uh, concrete. You put concrete into a, a, uh, a baggie. Ooh. Make it into a round ball. And then when they harden, they look like river rock. Yeah. Fraction cool. of, Love it. Fraction Love of it. the price. And then the plastic just deteriorates yeah. over time. Kind I've of like, have you might have been fixing to say this, you can buy bags of concrete, of course. And you can stack a wall with the bags of concrete with the bag still on it. And they'll mm-hmm. get wet and they'll kind of form this concrete bagged look. I mean, so that would be an easy one, too. And then the bags rot off or compost off. But that was an easy one for me because, that. you know, I didn't. Nowadays, I don't want to build a bed. I don't want to try to pound the metal edging in the bed. Um, I don't want to dry stack because I just get too involved. It's so strategic. Oh, I've seen some Taj Mahal raised <laughs> no, beds before. Me I mean, beautiful me raised bed with landscape timbers. I've even seen people use just the big cinder blocks. You know, they'll mm-hmm. put those out there. It doesn't matter. It all depends on the look that you're looking for, but it's all going to be functional, okay? Right, right. And I've seen raised beds that are up like three foot. That way they've grown it three foot tall. When they go out there and pluck their flowers or pluck their vegetables, they're not even having to bend over, mm-hmm. you know, so they're right, thinking ahead. Good, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is easy to grow things in raised beds because, one, the drainage is going to be typically perfect. The soil in the raised beds generally heats up faster than the soil that's in the ground, ground level. Um, so you can get out there and plant earlier, which a lot of the people that, if they're thinking about the great tomato contest, mm-hmm. their tomatoes are in the right. ground. They've been in the yeah. ground, y'all. <laughs> but it still comes back. I tell people there's three things, and you are talking about, Jim, a while ago, how you replenish your soil every year, especially in a raised bed. I tell them three things. One, one is compost. Add compost to that bed every year to replenish the soil. Two is add some fertilizer to it, some kind of fertilizer, whether it's organic or whether it's synthetic. I don't care what you use as long as it's a good fertilizer. And then three, the third thing to think about, especially in a raised bed for vegetables, is the pH, typically putting some lime in there. So if you're going to, if you're putting the lime in there to keep the pH up, you're putting that good compost in there to, to give the soil new life, if you will. Um, I'm telling you, man, you, you'll be successful. You will. So now we've got the bed built and I like this grouping of perennials that I'm about to mention for a lot of hot sun, but I think these, these look good together. The Autumn Joy Sedum, ornamental grass, whether you want to have it a smaller, like a little bunny grass, or you want to have a taller one. Um, the coneflower, that complements all that so well. Loose strife. Hey, is loose strife evasive here? Gooseneck? No, the uh, gay uh, feather. No, well, gay feather is liatris. Um, That's what I mean. Right, but the yeah. regular loose strife like Roberts or Morden's Pink is illegal in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. so let's not use that one. Yeah. So um, you can't find it anywhere. Right. The, gift, good the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Homestead Verbena, you know, yeah. is a low one. And uh, those are like really intensely heat hardy. You could add some Lantana, even though it may not come back, but there are a few. Add some <coughs> Lantana with that. So it's. Ornamental grass, like little bunny or um, madre, madre, which has black plumes when it comes up. That would be pretty. Coneflower, any type of sedum, really, but I always mm-hmm. like the autumn joy sedum, which should do good in the raised bed uh, following yep. what Jim, because if it's in the 
thicker soil, it tends to fall over. Well, and the, the, you know, I guess the beauty of perennials is they're so diverse. And most of the perennials that you ever see at a garden center, 95% of them, want more sun than shade. Mm -hmm. I always tell people you got to just be a lot more specific when you're dealing with shade. And thank goodness some of the perennials y'all were talking about a while ago, you know, there are some that actually do perfectly well in the shade, the hostas. And there's a million hostas to choose from, right? Million ferns. Million ferns. Mm -hmm. The ligularia that Mm -hmm. you were talking about a while ago, the leopard plant. The the astilbe, the ginger. The turtle heads, the blackberry lily. mm -hmm. They probably need to be more on the edge of not deep or not dark shade, but yeah. a little bit of, of light. Uh, Kenneth, Jim, what what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite fern? I mean, I love the autumn fern because it's evergreen and it's so reliable. I think that's my favorite, though, only because it does its thing. I mean, maybe it's my favorite because of what it does. It's so yeah, easy. Right. You put an autumn fern in the ground, it, it's a beautiful fern to start with. It does have the real pretty crimson new growth. Mm-hmm. They're almost evergreen here in Shelby County. So, but now, and don't get me wrong, I love all the textures of the other ferns, whether it's the Japanese painted ferns. That's that's one of my favorite. The ghost fern, I think, is one of my favorite. Uh, I like the colorful ferns like that. Uh, although, I, you know, in my yard, there are more autumn ferns than there are anything else. And i tell you, another mm-hmm. beautiful fern, which I really love, maybe even just as much or more than the autumn fern, is the tassel fern. Mm-hmm. It's I like got that. that thick, glossy look to it. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's a beautiful fern. I do like Christmas fern, mm-hmm. somewhat evergreen. It's lacy, flowy. Looks like a Boston all year round. Yep. yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. And, um, oh, ostrich fern they get a little taller in the background for you and this year i've seen uh, we're seeing a lot of ferns bloom really early uh we've had several Mm -hmm. pictures what do you mean bloom uh put up the fertile fronds that are delicious to eat right that are that are different shape different color Uh, we've seen cinnamon ferns blooming Mm. Uh, it seems like the cold weather that we had um, made the ferns pretty happy Uh, sensitive fern which i seldom see it bloom in my yard but (laughs) we've had several people or I say bloom, but, you know. Um, well, you're grumpy, and it's sensitive, so that's. Well, that's right. another plant. Reminds me of Mr. Paul, the plant that just keeps on giving. Sensitive fern will do it. My mother-in-law, uh, my wife's mom, had some sensitive ferns on the back of her house. And it was a thick bed Ugh. of these ferns. Now, they were Sauce beautiful. Me. Yeah. But, I mean, though they will they'll spread on you big time. Throw in full sun, come up through shrubs mm-hmm. and bloom, you know, and. and <laughs> I had a yard that we had to dig every day. They're called sensitive ferns because they will not tolerate any frost. First frost (laughs) makes them go, yuck. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so that's why they're called sensitive ferns. I've got a fern, just just had a fern variety come in. Jurassic fern. Jurassic. Never heard of that Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that really works. I mean, is it a, does it get a, pretty big? Yeah, 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 it does. And as I'm saying it, I'm like, you know, I don't know enough detail about it yet. And let me say this also. The ferns that we're talking about here, most of these ferns are perennial ferns. They'll come back year after year, okay? Now, a Kimberly fern that you see in a container by the front door or a macho fern, they're mm-hmm. beautiful ferns also. They're not going to make it through the winter. But they sure do great indoors as They do. Well. You can so, take them inside. Know year-round, actually. So make sure when you when you want a fern that's going to come back year after year after year, you're actually picking a hardy fern. Right. And say, I like the lacier ferns mm. because they blend, blend so well to the, the smaller hostas. They, they accent it really well. 
So, you know, people have a hard time finding things they like in shade and definitely hostas because they come in all types of varieties, colors, sizes, mm-hmm. uh, textures. I mean, you could have a big bed of just nothing but hosta because of that. Yeah. Although, here's the other thing that, you know, the deer and the slugs love the hosta. And I've seen, a, I saw a picture of the most Beautiful hosta bed before and then after. You know, they came back from vacation and it was 100% stems. The before and after picture. So, it, you know. Is your Jurassic for uh, gold? Jurassic gold? No, it's green. Okay. Right. I was looking. Monrovia's got a Jurassic that, gold, which yeah. is a Dioptrus. Oh, maybe uh, it but, is. But gold. I had not heard of that. That's the reason I was doing a little yeah. scanning here. Well, I know. Or is it a gold? Because it, well, it could come out it's green. It's green, but has yeah. new growth comes out gold. And no, then that's turns not green. the one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me say this. And I know we only got like 45 seconds. You're mentioning the deer and how they love hostas, those mm-hmm. succulent leaves, right? Before you go on vacation, go out there and put a good old heavy dose of milorganite down, which is a great organic fertilizer, which is also a great deer repellent, mm-hmm. and sprinkle that iron phosphide out there to get the slugs. They'll look just as good yeah. when you get back. Exactly. And we're going to talk a little bit more about ferns when we come back from this break. Awesome. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, Glad you could give us a call today. And then we've got people texting in. And then someone called in, left some messages for Alan to give to us. And we'll go over those. It was Linda, curious about foxtail fern and blush nandina, if they will be hardy here. Well, the blushing pink nandina, you know, I've, I've said this a thousand times. Typically, when you mention the word Nandina in front of a customer, you get slapped. Right. I you feel just, like you it just do, okay? <laughs> and because, you know, the Nandinas that we grew up with, the old Nandina domestica, six foot tall, five foot wide, you know, it, I mean, we just got tired of them, okay? <laughs> uh, and since then, you know, there are some new hybrids on the market. Uh, the pink blush or blush pink is one of them. And I love that Nandina. So Linda, if you've got a spot uh, that you want to plant a Nandina, which is tough as everything, beautiful color on it, uh, no fuss. Now they, you know, I guess the only drawback in my opinion of a Nandina, even the blush pink, is they like Mm -hmm. to spread a little bit on you. (laughs) It's nothing that you can't control. Um, So yeah, I mean, blush. Nothing you can't control. No, no. I mean, it's not, it's not so bad to where, mm-hmm. oh, my God, why did I plant this right, thing? Not like a bamboo or the sensitive no, fern. No, but every now yeah. and then you'll get a little sprout of that Nandina coming up. You know, where how did, And that's pretty easy to pull <laughs> out, How did actually. you get over here? But but that is one of my favorite Nandinas, extremely hardy. In fact, most of the Nandinas that were completely just zipped this past winter, they're slowly coming back out. Uh, yeah, and, those those the Nandina domesticas, the tall ones, I'm <laughs> seeing that. But I haven't seen, uh, well, in general, I haven't seen many of the smaller Nandinas planted because they, they do kind of have a bad name. And a lot of people, like you said, shy away from them. So I'm not seeing them as much. But I see that they, uh, they're they also a plant that can use a little more amendment, it seems. It seems like the tighter the clay is, the less full they get and i tell you what they also look great in containers i've seen people put them in pots if they want just a no fuss shrub that has some color to it in a container whether it's in full blazing sun or even just half a day sun 
it'll do perfectly well. Yeah. So, um, and then Jim was going to talk some more about ferns. Did she you also, yeah. just Linda, oh, that's right. uh, wanted to know if the foxtail fern, uh, which I love that fern. <laughs> Look it up if you've never seen one. But a foxtail fern, is it, will it make it through the winter? Well, I have had one make it uh, as long as five years. Kind of gets smaller every year. But it was in a little microclimate. Now, you have to remember, it is not a fern. It is an asparagus. Okay? So it needs to be in full sun. It needs to be put, if you're going to plant it in the ground, you need to have it near concrete uh, where it gets early morning sun and preferably sun all day long to keep that soil uh, warm. It is a zone nine plant. So normally it would, if you just planted it out in the garden by itself, it would not survive the winter. Uh, But you can occasionally get little micro environments where it'll come up. You know, I was telling Veda during the break, I've got a place where, uh, asparagus, regular asparagus fern seed come up every year. Uh, but again, it's like a little micro environment where, you know, the seed is pr- somewhat protected from the driveway. Uh, and I get little plants every single year. So, but um, it's one of those gems so that you can't count on this foxtail fern no. to come back year after right. year. You need to bring I, it in. I watched one, uh, for a couple of years and it was on a storefront and it was sitting against the windows in a little bit of a protected area. But then there's the sidewalk and then the street. Mm-hmm. So they're getting all the, that the asphalt, heat. concrete, yeah. brick. Yeah. So it, it made, I mean, even f- the last winter, I guess it didn't because there is something new in those pots. But even the winter we had before last and the one before that, it was still in there. And I'm driving by going, are they real? This can't be true. They're hardier than I thought. Yeah, but those yeah. are they're great looking ferns also. And then Jim, you said it's not really a fern, it, you know. But I think I'd rather call it foxtail fern, fern than it, foxtail asparagus. asparagus. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just doesn't sound right. But then there's the asparagus fern, right? Because right. it does look like asparagus. There are, plumes. There are a world of <laughs> asparagus ferns. Um, really? Yeah, I have uh, asper- asparagus Mario Claudius that gets eight feet tall. What? Uh, it's in a 25 gallon container that I have. I mean, what? it's huge. Uh, but then you have uh, <laughs> the regular uh, asparagus sarmentosas, which is the asparagus fern. You've got uh, the Myri, which is the foxtail oh, yeah. fern. You've got Mirio, uh, the Miraclotus. There's Plumosus, which is I one love that grows up and makes a 90-degree yeah. turn <laughs> with a frond. It's pretty cool. Like, uh, who broke that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, but there there are a whole whole bunch of asparagus. Even people that plant asparagus fern. for, you know, uh, to eat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they turn into an asparagus fern. That's right. And it looks just like the asparagus yeah. fern that yeah. we see. Right. But again, they are sun lovers. So don't put them in the shade and expect them to be happy because they're not ferns. Well, yeah. Jan, uh, our good friend Jan Farmer, uh, Childer, she texted in. She said, what's the fern that when you touch it, you know, it kind of curls up? And she thought that was what they called the sensitive fern. Well, sensitive ferns don't do that. No. Uh-huh. But there's that little... It yeah. almost looks like a mimosa. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's mimosa paduca, which is, a, I think, a native plant. Uh, it's P-U-D-I-C-A, uh, that when you touch it, it curls the plant. Which the is the weirdest thing up, ever. You know, kind of like a, a Venus flytrap mm-hmm. shutting. Um, and you can just, you know, kids love them because you can play with them. You can buy seeds usually in, in yeah. the garden centers. Uh, but they're, they're a pretty cool plant. And they're usually are quite often called sensitive ferns. Uh, but they're not a fern. They're a, actually a mimosa. 
It ain't crazy. Well, we're just wanting to name everything a fern that's not <laughs> yeah, a fern. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's I the guess. problem with common names. Yeah. You know, you know, if you go in and you buy something that's called a fern, the first thing you think of is, where can I plant this in the shade? Exactly. You know, and uh, yeah. if it's not a true fern, it may not appreciate that. Yep. So, yep. Well, the, the name escapes me now. But, uh, a client came in looking, oh, I can't remember what it, for a certain plant. And I'm like, oh, that plant is this plant. And they're like, this is not the same name. This one's called this. This one's called that. I go, okay, let's look. Look, let's look at the botanical name because they had a tag, and um, the botanic names, botanical names matched. And that's the only way that you can really know what it is. Right. The common names vary so much across the country. Uh, and uh, I need know. like a hummingbird vine. Right. Okay. You know. What does that mean? When, when I first started the the Facebook group, you know, I was pretty adamant about helping. To teach people the Latin terms, right. you know, yeah. I found out pretty quick. Nobody cares. Yeah. No, no, you know? yeah. <laughs> right. I know, I know. <laughs> so, you know, so I've gone back to mostly referring to um, the the common, the most common common name, mm-hmm. uh, and occasionally I'll throw in the botanic name just to show people I know what I'm talking yeah. about. It's those nice long <laughs> words. Yeah, he likes to speak a little Latin just, from just time to time. Just in case you you're not sure, here's the. Latin name. Well, someone called yesterday and said, um, I'm, do you have any purple lilies? No, do you have any lilies? And I said, well, would that be a day lily, a water lily, or an orna, orna, ornamental lily? Or, 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 an, or, spirit, or an amaryllis? I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and he was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm calling for somebody, and she said lily. And then uh, calla lily, maybe. And he goes, purple. And I was like, God, I couldn't think of what purple was. And I said, maybe you're looking for, because I don't know if it goes in the water. I don't know what you're talking about. So see, the lily. There's so many names yes. that there's so many things that are listed under lily. Yeah. What do we say? Day lily, oriental lily, calla lily. Day. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Amazon lilies, Aztec yeah. lilies. Rain and, lilies. Yeah. <laughs> calla lilies. You're such a lily. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I mean, and like same thing, you know, people, was, all right, I, need, I want a firecracker plant. Okay, oh, well, yeah. you know, I don't know exactly what that means because it can mean so many different things. Same thing when I mentioned the hummingbird uh, mm-hmm. vine. I mean, there is a, you know, a campsis vine. Oh, right. You know, right. that has the trumpet-shaped bloom that will attract. That campsis tacoma? That will attract uh, hummingbirds. Campsis radicans is, okay. the, yeah. is the one that is, you know, we see in the wild. Oh, and then I there num- about There are a number of, of, of good, really pretty cultivars they're still mm-hmm. aggressive like tangerine beauty right uh mm-hmm. some of those and then of course you've got bignonias which are the yes. cow vine which is the cross vine cow itch vine yeah cross yeah. vine uh those you've got has cypress a beautiful vine trumpet. you got cardinal flower and that's what i'm saying Card- you know cardinal vine those all mm-hmm. come under the name of that and then firecracker plant you've got hamamelia you've got kufias uh, you've got um all the one <laughs> But my point, though, yeah, there's another one is when people say they want this just mm-hmm. in the common language term, which is what mm-hmm. we all use, it can mean different things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do like um, all the customers that come into the garden centers because they're not asking for a certain plant. They're just walking around looking to see what's beautiful and grabbing it and oh, going. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, majority of the yards that I go into 
um, have, uh, you, you ask, what's the name of this plant? And you don't remember, they don't know. I've only seen a few yards where they actually label every single plant and have a, a list of what they are, but most of us don't know what, remember what it is. Yeah, I've tried through the years whenever I buy a plant, and you know, particularly because I have so many Austin varieties, to bury the, mm. the tag underneath the plant. That's what, yeah. If I ever need it, I know that it's there. I can dig it up, or if I transplant it, I'll know what it is. And that's pretty cool because I don't right. like a landscape, a I, bed. I hate to see this guy tags. Now, if I've got a rose bed, I get it. You know, if mm-hmm. I want to know what every rose I have, because that's a little different yeah, than, to me. Yeah, it's a different look. You know, I don't want want to come in and see tags. Right. You know, it's like if somebody comes into your yard and you're a bonsai enthusiast, the worst thing they can say to you is, "What a pretty pot." <laughs> 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 you know, uh, right? Yeah, the, the plant point, is what's important. Yeah, the, the plant, the <laughs> pot was fifteen, and the bonsai is one hundred. You know, that's funny though. That's <laughs> true. All right, y'all, we're gonna run to a break, or we'll sit here through the break. We're really not gonna run to the break. Um, you can give us a call nine zero one two six zero five nine two six or. Uh, post questions on Facebook Live. You're listening to KWM 990 AM News Talk and 107.9 FM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can post questions on Facebook Live, and you can just call and be on air, or just give Alan the message, and he'll give it to us. And Jan, she texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, thanks. That was a childhood memory. Walking through the woods, looking for the slave fern, and the fern that would curl up. Well, you know, that's what it... You know, we've always said that plants are, a lot of plants are about reminiscing. Yeah, that's so true. I love hearing those reminiscing stories. We were talking about the deer eating everything and Milorganite, you know, put that around. Mm-hmm. So they they smell that, which is... Right. Now, if you've got a big yard, you know, or, or wooded area, you want to try to treat outside of your bed also, mm-hmm. 20 feet or so, so they smell it before they get mm-hmm. to, to dinner. Because um, it smells like humans to them, the milorganite. Yeah, and it's it, when you put it down in the first rain, it has a slight fragrance. Um, <laughs> he said fragrance. But it, it passes, you know, for yeah. humans, and you don't yeah. smell it very long. That's right. right. But, but they'll they smell do. it for up to about a month or so. Right. Yeah, now there are other deer repellents. I mean, I just like yeah. the idea of using milorganite because it's also a wonderful fertilizer. Right. Yeah. That's really... Totally organic, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And that's why we use it is, is for fertilizer, but also dubs as a deer repellent. But there's the different shakeaway products, which are the granulated urines, mm-hmm. like the fox and coyote urine that people use. They do a pretty good job on as a repellent. Um, so, I mean, there are granulated repellents, and there's milorganite. Or... And I, oh. I, I, I want to <laughs> say something about milorganite here, mm-hmm. too, just real quickly. You know, if you Google it, uh, you may see some... Um, Articles written that uh, say bad things about milorganite, uh, that it's got heavy metals in it, and right. that you should not put it in your yard or anything like this. Um, Especially in the vegetable there, garden. There was, a, mm-hmm. there was a case back like in the 50s where they had a batch of fertilizer go out. It was put on farmland. It wasn't packaged for homeowners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was contaminated with some heavy metals, which right. they cleaned up, and that was gone. Uh, but that story still persists that it has heavy metals in it. Right. Every fertilizer you put down, whether it's organic or inorganic, has heavy metals in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, for you to 
get enough of the heavy metals in your yard to approach the amount that's considered toxic, you'd have to remove the top foot of your soil and replace mm-hmm. it with a foot of milorganite. Okay? Right. It's huge amounts. Right. So don't be very careful when you read a magazine article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? And, and I mentioned this in a post. I did a post this week on Rose Rose. Yeah. I read that. And what, we've know, what we now know that two, three years ago when I wrote the article, we did not know. Yeah. Okay? And showed the corrections. But one of the most well, we're going to come back to that after a while. But go one ahead. of the most thing, important things is disregard magazine articles. They are written by writers. They have people who do research for them. They are most often not gardeners and are not looking at what we consider the newest information. Yeah, and and, and then and like Jim was saying, with with Millorganite in particular, they've run more tests on that particular product than they have any other fertilizer known to man. Absolutely. And they're, you know, at one time, kind of like liquid seaweed. You know how they took liquid seaweed, they, they took the vegetable label away from liquid seaweed because liquid seaweed has got natural arsenic in it, right? Right. So, you know, I get it, but Millorganite uh, processed sewage from Milwaukee, uh, they were saying it had heavy metals. They took the vegetable label off, but now you see they put the vegetable label back right. on. Well, in regards to the writing, the articles and all, uh, when I used to write articles for the commercial appeal and you have to turn it in to get edited, when I would get it back, it wouldn't say what I said. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they left something out. Like, or did, And look, I'm like, wait, that that's not accurate. Look for publications from universities and look at new publications yeah. from universities. Check the date. Because <laughs> a lot of them, they learn also, just like we do. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the points I put in there is that back as early as 2017, University of Oklahoma saying, you only need to wait 30 days or so to put in a rose after you've taken one out from Rose Rose. Well, okay. So that's what I was going to ask you, Jim. Right. You know, uh, this is what we know now is that it's not passed sap to sap. We, you know, most most viral diseases can be easily spread by contaminated tools. Mm-hmm. Rose Rosette cannot. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not passed that way. So we know that damaged roots coming in contact with each other are not going to pass the disease. I had this conversation with a customer two days ago. He had pulled up some knockout roses that had rose rosette, which is broom. Mm-hmm. And he had always heard and read that if you put a new rose in the same hole that had the old rose in it, and you left a piece of the old rose root mm-hmm. in the ground, and the new rose root touched that old root, you would get it right. that way also. Horse feathers. Right. You know? But okay. that's, hey, that's what we I were know. reading and, years and ago. you're still seeing articles that say, wait a year, wait yeah. two years yeah. before you put them in there. But the truth of the matter is, you got Rose Rosette from somebody upwind, okay? That's how it's passed most of the time. And if you put a new rose back in that exact same hole, you still may have that uh, infected plant upwind. You're just as likely to get it again, but not from the soil. You're going to get it from the wind. Yeah, Yeah, see, I expect... I was is uh, mm-hmm. this yard that was okay to experiment in. Um, <laughs> I uh, cut the knockout roses with you know with pruners mm-hmm. and all that. Took the same pruners and went to uh, more knockout roses and and so I was contaminating. I'm thinking 
But but and this one set had the rose rosette, so I was getting it contaminated. And I don't know why I have to experiment with everything. Then I took it and started pruning other roses, but they didn't get the rosette. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not saying that out loud because then everybody believes me. I've just contaminated everything because right. you have to do research more and more. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this is okay, but that was a while back. And it's really nice to know yeah. that. And I, and I have always questioned that waiting that much period of time because mm-hmm. we just don't see that. Like with Hostavirus X, we don't see it being spread if you put another hosta back in the same mm-hmm. hole. It is very easily from contaminated gloves, mm-hmm. uh, tools. I also believe that if when the, the tissue is had a frost on it and it's dying away, mm-hmm. that water can transport mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, and, and also with Rose Rosette, we're finding out now that uh, many of those mites are hitchhiking on bumblebees. Mm. Okay, so <laughs> they can go upwind, downwind, sidewind. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my goodness! So, I love these bumblebees. Just hopping on the old bumblebee. Well, yeah. maybe what is something that you should not plant back where you got it from that had a disease? Is Tomatoes. It? Yeah. That's, you know, rotate that crop, right? You know, mm-hmm. early blight is such a problem here and it is and peppers very difficult to get all of it out. Okay. Once you yeah. remove your plants, there's contaminated tissue there. Uh, the, the, if you have to plant back in the same area, don't water with a sprinkler. Just let the water fill through the, the, uh, keep water off the foliage, Jim. Right. You know, use if you use a paper or some sort of mulch to limit splashing from rain, and then just fill the 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 runs with water so that you can water. You will you'll have a lot not better likely to get yeah, early blight. Likely. But go out there in the morning when there's dew on it, and you will spread it in your clothes. Hang on, we've got another hour to go. You're listening to Mid South Gardening on KWAM. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. Hey, y'all can listen to our podcast if you're missing anything. You know, mm-hmm. it's early. What if you fell asleep? What you if know? you didn't wake up? Yeah, yesterday yeah. I was talking to the uh, ATT cable guy after I cut the cable. Uh, <laughs> And and Oops. he listens to our podcast when he's doing stuff, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> and that's what kmradio.com? dot com. Mighty nine ninety. That's the app. Mighty nine ninety. You can get on there and go to uh, podcast. Yeah. And yeah. If you want to give us a call this morning, nine zero one two six zero five nine two six nine zero one two six zero five nine two six, or like we just said, go to the Mighty nine ninety Facebook page and shoot us a text anytime you want, Miss Faith. Well, the um, Farmer's Almanac says. For pruning to encourage growth. This is funny because think about it. For pruning, the next five days are the, these are the best five days to prune to encourage growth. April 29th, that today, May 24th, 25th, 26th, and June 3rd. Well, isn't that before plants flush anyway? No, how can they? Yeah. I mean, well, of course we're pruning by the moon and the moon phases have things to do with it. So folklore says, because they even tell you best days to cut your hair for fuller hair didn't work. 
I don't go with <laughs> with some of that. Now, there's been a lot of pruning going on this year uh, with all the damage that occurred back during the flash freeze, you know, before Christmas. So tons of pruning going on. Now, yes, to me, when I think of pruning, I think of just maintenance for aesthetic reasons, okay? Whether that's, you know, some hollies on either side of my garage, whether it's, uh, you know, some boxwoods, in this case, wintergreen boxwoods around the bay window mm-hmm. in the backyard. But I'm, I'm almost not really even pruning. I shouldn't even call it pruning. I should call it shearing. Yeah. Okay. Right. And even some dwarf yopon hollies mm-hmm. that are, you know, this, this, this stuff was at the house when I bought the house 20 something years ago. So I'm not really going in there pruning individual limbs. I'm getting a pair of hedge clippers and I'm shearing these things. Because I'm going for that, which y'all always give me the, you know, the evil eye, you know, the, either that big round beach ball look or the upright beach ball look. <laughs> so I'm not pruning, I'm shearing, and there is a difference. True, true. So, you there know, is. there's that. <laughs> yeah, I pruned my hydrangeas with a chainsaw. No, I see. I mm-hmm. like see, see Jim. Uh huh. I have so many hydrangeas and so many of those dead stalks sticking up and the green coming out. So I just, just above the green, just took the chainsaw to them. A week later, the green's past those yep. stubs that are there, and yep. everything looks good, and I'm happy. I think that's a great that, idea, because I had so many to prune that I was about to just leave them. Hey, and, and then Jim said that last week. So. But let's say this. <laughs> Normally, you don't do that, okay? When you see, <laughs> yeah. when, you see when a hydrangea goes dormant in the winter, yeah. all you see are the brown stalks that are sticking up out of the ground. We're talking about the old-fashioned hydrangeas. Typically, you never go in there and cut those back that That's time right. of year. That's now, right. this year, because of there again, the flash freeze that came through, it killed that tissue that was above ground. So, yeah, just for aesthetic reasons, we're cutting it off at ground level. That does not mean, please, that you go out there and do that mm-hmm. every early January or February because you're cutting off all the blooming tissue. And, and we've yeah. had people this week ask, you know, do I cut these stems off? Because when I cut into them, they're still green on the inside. Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, go ahead and cut them off because yeah. the buds are dead. Yes. Right. Okay. And that's so the whole point. Of that the is stems. the whole point. So right. Let's get, let's get rid of them. So um, then here's a different uh, perspective on what's going on in our garden, what people are doing. will prioritize upgrading outdoor lighting. You know, and I have to agree with that. I love the outdoor lighting done properly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I've seen a lot of Mm do-it-yourselfers do outdoor lighting. And you really don't know, (laughs) you know, when the sun goes down, you know, you see all the flaws, right? right? (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I'm not going to be critical of anybody doing it themselves because that's what the way I would do it. But I've seen some really beautiful landscapes and houses that have outdoor lighting done great. And I've seen other ones, y'all. Look where... like helicopter pads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> they have so many lights out there, you're worried something's going to land. <laughs> and, it, and going down the side of the driveway, to me, that's not outdoor lighting yet. <laughs> but at least, you know, if you were like some people that can't stay on the driveway, that might be a good thing. 27% will add items such as umbrellas and pergolas. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20, 26% to the, are going to add pillows, cushions, and rugs. Well, well that out, makes sense. It goes yeah. with that outdoor living yeah. aspect, yes. Uh, 26% will um, add some sort of fire feature such as fire pits and uh, you chimneys. Have a fire pit, Jenna? Yeah, chimneys. Do I have a fire pit? I do not. Okay. But yeah. I know, um, I mean, I see a lot of pictures 
uh, where people do have them. Of course, in the wintertime is when people... I have to have one of those. Uh, we, we, we have one, but, you know, if it's cold enough for me to sit by fire, mm. I'm, I'm inside. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I Jim, but I've seen fire. even my uh, my wife's sister, who lives in St. Louis, and I guess they, they probably have colder winters than we do. Uh, they did have an outdoor area redone with brick and stone, and it looks really good. And in the center of this, I guess, you know, the centerpiece around this furniture is a fire pit, okay? Mm -hmm. And quite often I see pictures of people, them out there cooking on the grill with this fire pit going. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if it's more of a visual thing Mm -hmm. or they're out there. It's all. Yeah. It's all above. I like to watch the movement of the fire, the crackling. Um, yeah, so t- it's burned marshmallows too. Or yes. you can't beat those. Oh, no, no. I love burned marshmallows. Mm. Scorched. Yes, twenty-two percent will add flooring. Twenty-one oh, no. flooring. Yeah, flooring. I guess. I guess maybe more space for outdoor. Deck, yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe deck, concrete, something like that. Twenty-one uh, percent will add seating or sofas. Boy, I have found out with selling outdoor furniture that there is some furniture that is. Definitely an investment, and that can last probably a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And it's actually some of it's passed along oh, sure. uh, from this one company, uh, Brown Jordan, I believe. That uh, like it's just artwork; it turns into artwork that because this company's been in forever. So, but there's also I never furniture. Would have thought that there's also furniture that's outside that shouldn't be outside. Right. It should never get wet. And, well, like I have the pass along stuff. Like uh, my grandmother had an iron bird bath, and so that's forever. And it was real decorative and ornate. And uh, then there's a swing that was <laughs> at Granddaddy's house, you know. And so you're sitting in it, rem- rem- reminiscing. So you know, I guess outdoor art and. All that, but the second to last was add a water feature. Mm-hmm. Second to last, <coughs> although this week every person known to man came in and got water plants, and it's really weird. All water garden people, water people come in at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're on the same path. schedule. Yeah, seventeen yeah. percent will add an outdoor kitchen or bar. Well, I thought the outdoor kitchen was a fire pit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm seeing some extravagant outdoor you living can live areas out there with your nice furniture. And I know we got to go to a break here in a second, but I'm talking about what makes me cringe when I think about pass along furniture. Okay, <laughs> my wife's mother, sweet uh, mother, who's passed away now, she had some rattan furniture mm. uh, in a room, and this is the old fashioned real rattan furniture. Okay, well, since then, of course, one of her daughters, the same daughter that lives in St. Louis wanted the rattan furniture because they mm-hmm. had a sunroom in their house. Yeah. So they took the uh, rattan furniture to St. Louis, had it in the sunroom with this, you know, new colored uh, cushions yeah. and so forth. Well, all of a sudden they wanted to, years down the road, they wanted to wall in the sunroom. Mm-hmm. So somehow the rattan furniture made it to our house, okay? <laughs> so that's what y'all been trying to sell. Yes. Oh. So it's up in a <laughs> yeah. It is up in uh-huh. a playroom. Okay. Oh, I've seen it listed. But, but now, but now I think another part of the family wants it. So we're it's fixing oh, to go. Because if they don't, I do. But my point <laughs> is, there are there are some furnitures out there that will last forever, whether you want it to or not. Right. Well, and also they're they're um, upgrading, like they make it from IPA wood. Uh, which is a renewable source of wood, mm. and uh, then the the rattan is not actually the the uh, wood type rattan or the bamboo or whatever yeah, it used right. to be. It, yeah, right. It's from a different material, but it looks really good. 
So that's I think that's why we're getting longer lasting outdoor furniture because this a lot of people it's so good that they get their cushions and stuff for you upholstered and I've never really thought about that on outdoor furniture. <laughs> All right, y'all, to a break. We'll be right back. Give us a call two six zero five nine two six and we'll talk about plants next. Welcome back, gardeners. Give us a call, 260-5926. Post questions on Facebook Live. Don't forget our podcast, um, Mighty990.com. You can find it that way. That's how you can listen live, too. One of the things that always bothered me about outdoor furniture are the cushions. Right. You know. They get mildew. They get wet, Jim. Yeah, they get wet if you forget to leave them out. But even if you, on a regular day, you'll have dew on them in the morning, and they'll be wet and, and... and it's just tough. And it reminded me of a story that goes back to <laughs> the mid-'80s uh, when I bought the first house in Bartlett, moved from Midtown to Bartlett, and had, we had a, uh, a open house party kind of thing, and Mr. Kenneth right here was there. What? Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Do you and, remember? And my wife, you know, in her wanting to make the house perfect, washed the cushions on the dining room <laughs> furniture. Okay. Right, where's where's this going? You gonna have to leave my name out of this. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, you know, she uh, ran them through the dryer and all that, and put them back on, and everything was hunky dory. But they were not dry in the center, <laughs> and when you sat on them, put a little pressure, the water came out, and everybody was walking around with wet pants, <laughs> and, and and making you itch, you know, and you're kind of squirming in your chairs, you know. <laughs> That's just so wrong. It was. It was funny. <laughs> that would have to be. Well, nowadays, we've got some reasons. Sorry, Carol. I had to tell that story. <laughs> you ought to be apologizing. I love it. You need to be apologizing so, to me. But when he said, do, that reminds me that the Farmer's Almanac said, on May 1st, you should wash your face with the morning dew. May the 1st. Tomorrow. No, Monday. Yeah, well. Why? I don't know. But it's another one of those things. You know, the Farmer's Almanac is, is more like a fun kind of thing, mostly nostalgic and all. But let me see. Should I try that? I may as well try that. You I've tried to, the snail. You've got a video. Snail. With Remember we were talking about the slugs that leave the slimy? Yeah, yeah. And so and you did that. Yeah. yeah, I've been doing that. It's really nice stuff, actually. You need, but it does kind of. When the lotion comes out, you know, it's an around thing, and it does kind of have oh, a slug trail. Oh, yeah, It does right. have a slug yeah. trail. <laughs> yep. It's like, ooh, up and down when you're pulling it out. It's really oh. good, though. But, yeah, it's mucin, M-U-C-I-N, I we, think is the active ingredient. It's oh, great. heavens, I've used Mucinex for years. Is that <laughs> no, where it came from? You've been taking it all this time. <laughs> that's why you're such a... Uh, all right. Well, anyway, so, but it did work. I can deal with it. But people buy it and have no clue that's what that is. Yeah, thank no goodness. Clue. Well, uh, anyway, so back to... Um, I don't mind using things that are made out of plant material, but when it starts getting down to the little slug slimy trails. little things, yeah, leave me and out. In case y'all didn't hear it last time, they, they collect it. See, they, these slugs that they use actually get pampered because the less stress <clears throat> they are, the more secretion they can... Um, uh, yeah, 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 okay. that, that, yeah. and so they get they they Admit. they live in music, darkness. They keep them relaxed. So for real, 
And then the way they collect it is, <laughs> I can't even remember how, Don't but they all know. get, they all let, get hey, let me taken say, over to this other section. Let me say this. You know how you're talking about pampering, you know, the bugs that mm-hmm. you want to keep around. Uh, you know, <laughs> Jim, get your head off the microphone. <laughs> I was talking to a lady at the garden center the other day, and she said that she actually sings to her plants. Mm-hmm. And she's... Clearly, okay. yeah, you, she's not the first lady that has told me that. She, I mean, it, it's her feel-good space. When she's out in the mm-hmm. landscape and she's singing and talking and everything. And, Jim, you made a comment a couple of weeks ago maybe about a study that was done in Israel where they are trying to prove a point, and the point is do plants communicate with one another? And I just wonder, it made me think that, you know, they heard some clicking noises and ultra- right. ultrasonic. Right, whenever they stress, the clicking uh, increases right. dramatically. Right, but, the, the, <laughs> but then it makes you think, though, do, is it really beneficial to talk to your plants? Isn't that something? Any, well, they do, they do sense the vibration, um, and, and a lot of it has to do with uh, you will feel better about your plants and take better care of them, uh-huh. and... <laughs> response is more from that so much as you're talking yeah but moving your plants really does help um there is um there was a study done in fact there was a lady in england who had a huge estate and she had a couple of full-time gardeners who their only job was to shake the plants Hmm. to go around and grab them and shake them and do that well, you know, they actually began to check and found out that it was beneficial to the plants. And, in fact, it's best if it's done between 10 and 12 in the morning. You've got to be You kidding. get the best results by doing this. So, if you know, go out and shake your plants between 10 and 12, and they'll grow better. <laughs> Boy, I'm loving to hear what the neighbors say about that. If you believe in stuff in the farmer's almanac, go do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe shaking the plants was creating a stronger root system. Well, and, that, and, it, and they say that it... it um, clears impurities in the in the the conductive tissues, mm-hmm. so that you know if, if something's stuck, you get it unstuck. Oh, so mm-hmm. I can shake. People could shake their spouses, their partners in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Would that clear them of all their issues all day? <laughs> yeah, that's it. So oh, I'm well, sure I my thought, wife has felt like yes, that sometimes. Yes, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. What I thought it was because uh, they were getting the carbon dioxide from our. Did I say that right? From mm. our speaking, from emitting from us. No, I mean, there's enough uh, carbon. Probably not enough. You know, that's what I thought, too. And it's yeah. like, well, do you, you scream really loud? Do you get a big full breath and blow all over your plants? So, well, they, uh, well, you know, they've tried music, you know, and they found mm-hmm. that plants actually do grow better with classical type music than they do with hard rock and heavy metal mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. It does have yeah. a negative effect on the plant. Which and is crazy. people, really. Yeah. That Which gives is understandable. Road rage. Well, I can't listen to a really, really great upbeat song when I'm driving because I'm all into the song. It makes you want to go faster. and So I can't do that. I have to listen to more mellow music so I don't want to be so competitive and yeah. race. Yeah, but I, I still think it's very interesting, though, that you know, there's a lot going on out there that we probably don't know about. No oh, doubt gosh, about it. Yes. Especially when it, even in the plant world, yeah. if you will. Relationships between organisms are much more complex and have evolved um, some really unique things in over the course of a few billion years. All right. All right. What about, and I know we've only got a few minutes before we go to a break, and this is a topic, Jim, that I've heard, you know, people really believe in and then 
some people not so much. And, you know, it, it goes back to what they call companion plants. And what I mean by companion plants, I, we've always heard there are certain plants that you don't want to plant together, and there are certain mm-hmm. plants that you actually that are beneficial to plant together. And I was talking to a gentleman the other day about companion plants. And he, well, first of all, he was talking about planting a lot of herbs in the same container. Mm-hmm. I was like, not a problem. I mean, there's absolutely, a lot of times we see these big herb baskets where people have rosemary in the center. They'll have basil and marjoram and thyme and sage and all these other plants in the same container. And his question was, well, is there a problem with that? It's not a problem with it if you have enough room to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like any other plant. You don't want to overcrowd any plant that you put in a container. But because he was thinking that, okay, I've heard where there are certain plants that you shouldn't grow together. Mint might be one of them. If you put mm-hmm. mint in there, it's going to take over anyway. Yeah. Well, you know? if, if you're pruning it properly, if you've got a big herb garden there, you know, that's got 12 or 15 different types of herbs in them. If you're using them and pruning them properly, exactly, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. good point. It's when you begin to let the one that grows faster get bigger, shade other stuff. Right. Then you're going to see them all suffer. So you know, so if as long as you're keeping them well pruned, even if you don't need them, the herbs, dry them, throw them away, yeah. but mm-hmm. maintain them and keep them pruned back, and you can have a, a season-long herb garden. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. As long as you've got the space or the room and you're doing it, you give them room to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I'd say the <clears> best <throat> companion planting is diversity. Yeah. Just have it diversity. Is. That's why I have almost almost no bug problem in my garden. I get some Japanese beetles on a couple of plants that are really highly attractive. Oh, yeah. And you will again this year. Yeah, but, you know, <clears throat> I, I almost, in fact, last year I don't think I sprayed anything. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a few aphids on my butterfly weed, you yeah. know, but I just take a Wipe them off of my mm-hmm. fingers, you know, and almost nothing. Now, but if in, in, if you had nothing but butterfly weed in your landscape, I'd you would have a, a continual problem. problem. That's right, yeah. you know. And I that's have, what Veda meant by being diverse. And I've been very lucky. I have most of my hostas in a garden where there are a number of box turtles. Uh-huh. You wow. don't see any slugs in there. That is amazing. You know, they take care of them. Uh, you know, I, once in a while I'll see a little damage out front, but I also use a good bit of the iron phosphate, uh, the sluggo mm-hmm. type products, you know, it's a good fertilizer, but it also keeps down the sluggish. But you're consistent with it, right? Yep, Some people much, put yeah. it out and think the one time. No, good. you know, I'm, I've usually every six to eight weeks is mm-hmm. about all I need to do to keep them under control. You yeah. Know? So they better start now. Yeah. Because <laughs> if they're getting ready to munch, I'm already seeing some photos mm-hmm. where they're doing their thing now i've so heard people tying their hostas up for a minute and tying your hostas up kind of loosening the soil could maybe bring the eggs up to the surface and then the birds and all that could take care of them but i would just do the sluggo well yeah and, and, and going back to the you know companion plants you know like you mentioned a while ago jim there are definitely some no-nos beta you know, like tomatoes, for example. You don't want to plant tomatoes in the same spot year after year after year. And I think peppers may be in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you want to rotate those crops. But I really don't see a problem with planting different vegetables in a garden. I mean, in other words, there's not like, whoa, don't plant this plant mm-hmm. right beside this plant. And I, I know there's some out there that you shouldn't. But when it comes to the vegetables that we grow around here, as long as you're rotating the crops, you're absolutely Well, think fine. about this. People all, all the time plant uh, marigolds in their vegetable garden because they're supposed to control the insects. 
and the marigolds are getting spider mites because they're marigolds right. around here, mm. and they think they're taking the spider mites from the plant. No. No, marigolds are attracting the spider yeah. mites. Yeah. We'll be right back. Gardeners, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. People are getting awake this morning. Maybe been awake, but actually getting to where you can talk. <laughs> and if you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, Mr. Jim. Yeah, for those of you who are just waking up, we've been here for two and a half hours, okay? <laughs> and I did have a texter. She texted them as Shirley List on the Mighty 990 Facebook wonderful page. Wonderful lady. Been to their house many times. Beautiful garden. Just Wonderful. And Shirley texted and she said, a German lady told us that they would strap, take a strap to the trunk of a tree in the spring to wake up the sap. There you go. You know, now, I've never seen that, never heard of that. But never heard of that either. Well, you know what willow, uh, reaping willow trees are good for? Switches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, remember when mom said, go cut yes. me a switch? Yes. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> and when me and my cousin would act up, which was constantly, the, the threat was, one of y'all is going to get the switch for the other one. Oh. It's like, ooh, I don't want to be the, so grandmother's says, go get switch no. for y'all. <laughs> it's like, that's so funny. So we wouldn't act up because we didn't want to punish each other. There you go. Right. It worked, didn't it? All right. Let's go to David in North Memphis. Thanks for the call, David. You're welcome. Good morning. Hey, Dave. Hadn't talked to you in a minute. How have you been, sir? Oh, I've been doing well. Uh, if you like to say over here in North Memphis, I've been holding on. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Yeah. And I see below your name, you uh, it says something about rose bushes. Well, no, it's, it's two things. First of all, Ken, um, it's been cool enough that you know what I've been doing, right? Oh, yeah. I've taken out my real more. I've even named her this year. It's huh? remote. Oh, so I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> How's Remo doing? How's Remo doing? (laughs) She's doing well. In fact, she's doing too well because people ask me, do I do this for a living? I said, well, yeah. If you can bring your yard right here to my address, I'd be more than happy. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And for people that don't know, David, you know, I've always admired your work ethic, first of all. And I know that you always wanted to keep a good-looking yard. And to the fact that you would go get an old-fashioned real mower. One that you push that has the blades that turn on it because you get a different look from a real mower than you do a gas-powered lawnmower. It's a round blade. Now, I thought you were crazy to do it, David, but I I admire you for it. We had a yard that we used the real mower for, and it did leave a nice pretty cut. It does. Mm -hmm. It does. So it's your hobby. I'm not going to do this in the middle of July. Yeah. Don't don't, don't push it. Gotcha. There's a limit. But but the first question was, if I cut it low, does that give me a better chance of killing the weed? I have put pre-emergent down, too. It's it's reverse, actually, because low allows the light to hit the surface, and the weed seeds can germinate better. So we always recommend a little higher so it can shade the roots and <laughs> the soil, Jim. If you're going to well. use a weed killer, it will imp- enhance your your kill if you'll cut like two to three days prior. 
Uh, it, mm, oh, okay. it stimulates growth. That young, tender growth is much easier to get chemical into mm-hmm. and kill. Plus, you've got a ragged edge where you cut, uh, which helps mm-hmm. get the chemical inside also. Okay. So I, I, I'm going to use that for next year because I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've already cut it low. <laughs> and that's it. So but Well, it'll grow out like, before we have issues anyway. And, and, and it doesn't hurt, David. You know, I'm, I use, of course, a, a, a self-propelled push lawnmower with the bag around it. And I go out there a couple of times early in the year and I cut it. I mean, I cut my Bermuda in particular down really low. And I'm catching all the old clippings. But I'm also, any little weeds that are in there, you know, I'm cutting those things down low too. And I know that a lot of the weeds that I'm, I don't go out there and spray to kill, they're going to burn out as soon as it gets hot anyway. But uh, I agree with Jim, especially if you're using a herbicide. Uh, yeah, cutting it two or three days before you spray is a good thing. Okay. Second question. I do have a rose bush, and I have a lot of respect for it because I don't do anything for her. <laughs> I just, look, my motto is I cut yards. The rest of this stuff, if they happen to be pretty, I take pictures of them, and, and, and I, you know what I do? I take credit. Yep. I'm a <laughs> yeah. gardener. You're exactly right. <laughs> And the ladies like it, too, so that, that's always a good Yeah, that's right. there we go. Because they like it because <laughs> now, they're like, mm-hmm, he can work in my yard. Yep. See, there you go. Yep. There you go. I'm, I'm too old to run after him, but I can still look. Now, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 here's the thing. When, how do you prune? When do you prune? It's got a, It's already got a bloom on it. It's got one bloom on it, and it, it, it's growing every which way. How do you know, you know, how do you prune it? Okay, does it have long shoots when it comes out, or is it just more bush type? Okay, I'm going walking towards it now. Okay, it got one long one from the ground. How long yeah. is it? Oh, let's see. One, two, that's three feet there at least. Okay. Um, the whole bush is about three, six, about six feet um, high. I suspect that it is actually a, a rambler. We call them climbers, but they're not. They're ramblers. Uh, if it's putting out long shoots with flowers, then uh, normally we don't prune those. We would train those along uh, a top of a fence or something because they bloom best on second-year wood. Now, mm-hmm. if you just need to cut it back, if it's in the way, just do it. Just go back as far as you need to. It's going to put out some lush new growth, yet those may not flower You know, if it's a rambler. Does it, how often does it bloom? Well, it's in the middle of um, the yard, so it's not a, close to it. Okay. I would. Does it bloom uh, all you know, season long, or do you have a mass in the spring and then few during the rest of the year? No, I, you know, Jim, as I said, I cut yards. <laughs> <laughs> well, and typically, I think what Jim's getting at, if you ever cut a rose, okay, you do it after uh-huh. the blooming cycle. Yeah, and, and like I say, if it's a climber, to get roses for next year, you just want to let it do its thing. Right. You don't have to prune it yeah, at I, all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I remember it, though, as I remember, sorry to interrupt you, it does bloom more than one time. Okay. All right. Then just and do. It's and it's pink. And it's pink. Yeah. Just cut <laughs> what's in your way. Uh, if you get a real okay. tall one, the harder you cut, the better flower you're going to get when it re- when it reblooms. Okay. okay, because the the yeah. bigger the cane, the bigger the cane will come out, and you'll have a better flower. If you just keep cutting it at four, three or four feet tall, you get very twiggy stuff. You'll have little insignificant flowers. 
So okay, prune hard. Okay, yeah. Well, one last thing quickly. Um, on Saturday morning, I get up at six thirty and I and I pick up the paper around the school, around my house, around oh. my neighbors' oh, houses. Yeah. And I have you guys on blast. Thank it's, it's you. Very <laughs> Thank you. David, we love you, buddy. I mean it. And you have a great love weekend. You if you have any questions, you give us a shout. Will do. Thank you. Thanks, as always. David. Bye. Thanks. We always love what you have to say. We'll go to Mr. Paul after the. Well, let's go to Mr. Paul now. Good morning. Or Paul. Good morning, Paul. You're in the garden. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is Mr. Paul. It is Mr. Paul. And this is two weeks in a row. And I'm telling you, Mr. Paul, I'm so proud of you. Well, I had to call in because y'all covered some information a while ago that's vital to gardeners, and it's y'all just covered a whole lot of stuff. But that's the reason that everybody that's going to garden, they should join the Hort Society, the mm-hmm. Memphis Horticulture Society, or one of the gardening groups, mm-hmm. simply because they get gen- or master gardeners. A- anybody to get this information that y'all are dispensing because everybody don't listen to y'all. I think they do, but there's a few people that had never heard of y'all. That's right. <laughs> and now they doing. have because you told them. Thank you. But you're right, Mr. Paul. I mean, I've always had, you know, I've always had a warm place for the the Hort Society. Uh, and I know there's, like you said, at the Botanic Gardens, I know there's, you know, Hosta Societies, Orchid Societies, and on and on and on. And they're all yes. great. Uh, they are. But but you're right. When it comes to something, you know, if I've got to go in there, let's say I've got to sand the door and stain it, okay? I'm not just going to go in there and just do it without doing some homework. Well, the same thing with gardening. You know, there there are just some do's and don'ts that people, simple things that we need to know. Exactly. And information, Mr. Paul, is the key. You're exactly right. It is. It is. Well, and like Jim said about the magazines, those people are writers. Yeah. And they do they do a great job. I, I take horticulture and fine gardening and I enjoy them thoroughly. But a lot of times the information is so vague that if you want to guard you can look at the pretty pictures. Yeah. And and ooh and all over that. But it's not gonna help you garden that much. Mm-hmm. And it's just real important that we know the basics and y'all cover that so well. And I just appreciate y'all being there because everybody that gardens, they they just need to know those simple facts. I mean, a lot of things that they have, it's like Jim, you know, talking about some of these things that we have been doing mm-hmm. for years because mama said she'd done it. Right. You, you mean we've been doing it the wrong <laughs> way, Mr. Paul? Yeah. Well, yeah, and what you, I mean, it don't probably don't hurt anything, right? But mm-hmm. it don't help. You could use that energy yeah. in some more, yeah. uh, you know, productive way. True. Well, one thing that I think also we probably need to start doing, Mr. Paul, uh, is maybe giving your number out uh, <laughs> on air because we know that you are a very smart individual and you love to talk to people. Well, I do that, but I no, do not do that. <laughs> I have gotten, I get so many of those weird calls anyway. I, got told, I learned a trick, though. I just pick the phone up and open its flip phone, and I just open it up and don't say anything. Let's see. That usually, if it's somebody that wants to talk to me, mm-hmm. they know that's the way I answer the phone. Absolutely. And, and if not, They'll just hang up, and I don't have to. I don't have to tell them. 
No, thank you. Don't want to sell my house. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Paul, we love you to death. Like I said, every time I go in my back bed, which I did once or twice this week, I, I, I and I mean this in a, in a good way, I think about you, we think about you all the time. And that's why, Mr. Paul, I was making it tongue-in-cheek when I said we've heard from you two weeks in a row, but we really love hearing from you, buddy. Well, I couldn't resist calling in because y'all y'all give out that information, and it's quick. It's like a little in 10-minute segments, and a lot of people don't think about it that much but those things those little tidbits that y'all give are the important parts of gardening because that's what you know works yeah well paul is i know it's a little wet out there it's gonna be i think a decent day today a really pretty day tomorrow so there's no excuse for you not to be out there also well i'm sitting in my car right now me and the dog took a break and i had to sit down and everything's wet so I ain't going to sit in that wet chair. Exactly. Well, don't, well, don't go to a summer party at Jim's house after his wife has washed the cushions. I know. That was a good story. Y'all do, y'all do a great job. Thanks for being there. Love you guys. Thank See you, Paul. You, Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I had somebody call and want to buy my house, and when I finished describing it to them, they hung up on me. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Why can I not hear you, Jim? I don't know. There, there we, we go. go. I'm here now. <laughs> I said the lawn and garden business is a good business to be in. You know, you don't have to wear ties. Yes. You know, and you know, I have made enough money that I don't have to work for the rest of my life as long as I die before last Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> they always say if you're going to work in the garden industry, don't be doing it for the money. No, you cannot. But you save on clothes. You, you're you in shape. Yeah. You get a nice little tan. You get the first look at every plant that yeah. comes off the truck. That was oh, I used yeah. to love to unload the trucks, love to pot perennials. That was the best thing. Y'all have both see lost all your money. Yeah. Wow, let's go to Dwight. Can we get, no, he's still taking calls, well, typing in. Uh, tactic when people call oh we were talking about ferns earlier i did want to Mm -hmm. point out that we have a great fern file hardy fern file on our uh, website um, mid-south gardening gardening in usda zone six seven and eight Uh, under the file section it's hardy ferns it lists the ones that are at the bottom there's a cross reference and it lists the ones that are evergreen or semi-evergreen but all of them are hardy doesn't mean that you can grow them without doing some soil Fixing because some of them like more alkaline mm-hmm. soil, some of them need more drainage, some of them like wet soil. So means they are all technically hardy here if you give them the conditions that they uh-huh. like. Isn't that crazy? Because you would think that all ferns would like the same condition. Well, I mean, because look, they're ferns. Take a look at maiden hairs. You know, the northern yeah. and southern maiden hair are like totally different soils. You know, they're closely related, uh, and they're like four or five maiden hairs that are actually hardy here mm-hmm. if you give them what they want. Wow. Uh, we have to talk more about that. Dwight, good morning, Dwight. Thanks for the call. Hey, uh, about people calling to buy your house. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have a firm answer for them. Would you like, would, are you interested in selling your house? I said, yes, I am. And I have a price. Yeah. yeah. My house, they probably pretty well know uh, my house, uh, if we got $200,000 for it, it'd be a pretty good price. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe an extra price. And I'll say, and they say, oh, great, how much? I said, well, I will. I have a firm number. I'll sell it for 
And, and if you're ready, just bring a certified check guy, <laughs> and, and uh, they'll ask, well, is that uh, negotiable? I said, yes, I would consider selling it for 353000 <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That takes care of that. I like that tactic as well. <laughs> Dwight went up. Fun with it. <laughs> yes, I know. It is kind of fun to do that. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Dwight, hopefully you won't get to, well, we all get them, but, you know, hopefully you won't get as many calls this weekend as, as we used to get. I think it's getting a little better, but. It, it is. And good hey, luck. I'm retired. I might miss all this when they stop uh, <laughs> Right. Well, and good luck on selling your house this weekend also. Yeah, absolutely. All Thank right, you. buddy. Thank what, you. What can we do for you? Sell this house. Oh, uh, right. yeah, I thought maybe he had a plant problem too. No, not no, if just... he sells his house. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I get every day like four uh, emails that tells me that I am entitled to money for drinking water at Camp Lejeune. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I, know. Mm-hmm. I guess it's because at one time I lived in North Carolina, but oh. I've never been to Camp Lejeune yeah. to right. drink any of their water. Yeah. And you know? see, that's scary because they pick that up and i block every single one Uh of them and they come from these really you know garbled um email addresses you know it's i it's pretty crazy i do i just cannot Uh, what do y'all think about the weather weather, this year this spring because i mean i had a lady tell me the other day that she said you know kenny we finally had a decent spring and what she meant by that is you know we're getting adequate rainfall we're what nine inches above normal for the year already so we're getting the rain, the moisture's it, out there, but also it's the it's the cooler temperatures without the humidity. Yeah, more than four days of it. Yeah. So Veda, as far as and Jim, as far as the people planting and things growing with the weather, the temperatures that we're having right now, what's your take? And I think it's wonderful and beautiful. I'm loving it as well. Um, I'm glad. Actually, I, some people say May first is the beginning of spring. <laughs> But then Christmas is supposed to be cold, too. So, But I, I like it. I noticed some of the plants that we get in maybe not has been as grown as much as it had been warmer sooner. We're above <clears throat> in the rainfall, but that's not going to help us in August, probably. No. Oh God, no. No, it'd be a drought. You know, it's feast or famine either way you go. But you're right. Plants are not growing maybe as aggressive as they will, as they will later on when the soil temperatures get a little warmer, for example. But... I mean, to me, you know, we forget how wonderful Memphis, Shelby County, the Mid-South can be without high humidity, okay? You know, we all suffer in the summertime. I get that. But these, you know, and usually our springs are so short. You know, it goes from beautiful spring-like weather, and then overnight it's 100 degrees in the shade. Well, this year it's been extended. And even the next 10 days look pretty darn good as far as temperatures go. We're not even in the 80s now, y'all. We had not been in the 80s. I don't feel like I'm behind, <laughs> but I probably am. <laughs> no, and I just think on some of the things like planting okra and planting, you know, caladium bulbs and, you know, some of these things that just don't like mm-hmm. cool, wet soil. Um, Have you been able to get caladiums yet? We got a few the other yeah. day. The first shipment of caladiums came in, and we've been selling quite a few of them already, but that first shipment came in this week. Yeah. And caladiums are one of those things where they're – Caladium plants we're talking about. They're going to be in short numbers this year. But I guess my my whole thing of bringing up the soil, what about, you know, it's been wet and it's been cool, which I love. But is that going to pose a problem as far as, say, downy mildew that we hardly ever see or some of these 
botrytis blights that Jim was talking about, or, or uh, not botrytis, Jim, but what was the one that was uh, a volutella? volutella. Mm-hmm. Are we going to potentially see an increase in fungal activity, maybe, mm-hmm. because of the cooler, wet conditions, or can we say, no, 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 we always see even more fungal activity when it's hot and humid, you know? Mm-hmm. So The only thing that concerns me is turf right now, okay? Um, a lot of people are reporting that they're not getting much green up in their zoysia or Bermuda. You're right. Um, especially in zoysia. Right. Uh, and it's normally my zoysia and I've got a couple of types in the yard greens up before my Bermuda. Mm. Okay. In fact, a lot of times during the winter, it's got some green leaves in it. Not this year though. So you're saying Jim, just be aware. Yeah. So we'll talk lawns next. Let's talk lawns on our next show. Okay. Because we didn't talk lawns at all. And you know I love the lawns. I know you do. Man, we've enjoyed this so much. Thanks for tuning in. Listen to our podcast on the Mighty 990. We will see you next weekend in the garden.